For those who don't know, now you know, baby. This is Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling with Hot Rod Biggs and some special guests, Jared, Jimmy Street. We're going to take them to the limit one more time, baby, right here on Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. This is Steve Bowtie Bryant here. Back in the 90s, I was a pro wrestling photographer for the South. And I released what might have been one of the original sets of indie trading cards. I ran across some of these original sets. They were up in Randall Fanning's attic all this time. PG-13 rookie card. Ricky Morton, George Weingroff as the Sheep, Chris Champion, Reno Riggins, Billy Montana, Gary Valiant, the Scorpion, the Medic, Rick Reynolds, Jeff Daniels, Mephisto and Dante, Ben Jordan, Steve Neely, Marcus Woodrow, Clinton Charisma, Little Farmer John. If you'd like an opportunity to get these cards, contact me now. You can get them for only $49.99. Contact me at Steve Bowtie Bryant at iCloud.com. Get your set now while supplies last. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome one more time to the Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling Podcast. And today I've got, as always, my brother from the same father and mother, the plastic Sheik Jared Street. What's up, Sheik? How you doing today, buddy? Not much, brother. Just good to be your tag team partner for life. For, 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 for life. Life. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, you definitely are that. You know, I got to start off by saying we've got an excellent show today. As you read on the welcome mat, today we have the one and only Hot Rod Biggs on the show. If you're not familiar with Hot Rod Biggs, I understand. He's very well known in the Middle Tennessee area where I had my little turn at bat. And he has really had a cool career, wrestled a lot of awesome people, and honestly just has some great stories to tell so even if you haven't heard his name and you normally listen to us anyway go ahead and listen just to a little bit of the story and then i think you'll stick around for the rest of it because like i said hot rod biggs is the man trust me on that so you know to kind of go back a little bit we've had some shows in the in our rearview mirror and we had of course shane morton which is now just crossed so many barriers i don't even know that his numbers can be broken at this point maybe brand new reigning (laughs) champion. (laughs) We said that about Greg Gagne too, though, so who knows, right? But, you know, and Jeff Daniels is still there too, so they're all kind of still hanging in the top three there very strongly. Gotta appreciate all y'all for that so much. And we can tell that you stuck around and listened to our Mount Rushmore of managers. The funny thing is, is as we, I had Jared, I said, Jared, let's do a chic short, kind of just saying each of our picks, you know, so maybe it'll bring him to the episode to listen. And what I noticed... in that that we clearly didn't notice during the show maybe you did but i didn't is that you picked three paws 
<laughs> I didn't I, notice until you mentioned it. And I picked three Jimmys. And I know I get it. Some people's going to be like, what are you talking about? Jimmy Hart, James J. Dillon, okay, mm-hmm. and then Jim Cornette, who also goes by Jimmy to those who know him. I almost wish now that I would have picked Father James Mitchell or somebody like <laughs> that, that instead of Gary But then Hart. you would have to leave Gary Hart off. There's I no know. way you could leave Gary Hart off. There's zero chance I could have done that. And, you know, people would have been like, you can't pick yourself, Jimmy. So, you know, but it was just so funny. I was like, you know, three Pauls and a brain and three Jimmys and a Gary. <laughs> who's, the, who, who's the fourth Paul I could have picked? I don't know. Oh, man, that's a good one. You know, uh, I was trying to think uh, that when you mentioned that, that I couldn't put that off the top of my head. So Yeah, yeah, I can't. Th- if, if you guys out there in listener land, think of another manager named Paul. And I'm sure on the Indies, there's a Paul somewhere. Yeah, there's but, but tell me a real manager with the name Paul, because I think we did a pretty decently thorough job of going through them. And anyway, three Pauls and three Jimmys later, we had a Mount Rushmore <laughs> of Managers episode that y'all listened Oh, Paul to. Jones. Paul Jones. Oh, dude. Paul Jones. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want I mean, he's, I would have never love, picked him. Though, so I love you, Paul like, Jones. Yeah, Jared. Good job. <laughs> I love you, Paul Jones, but man, I think I even brought Paul Jones up. <laughs> yeah, I think you did. <laughs> See, I told you we covered everybody anyway. So, yeah, but I couldn't ever. You, It's like you could never take the brain off your list. I mean, I'd have to replace Bobby Heaton with Paul Jones. <laughs> no offense. That would be crazy talk, though. <laughs> then the YouTube comments would have really blown oh, up. YouTube comments would have burned us down. <laughs> imagine imagine you taking brain off picking paul jones me taking gary hard off and picking jimmy street you know that just <laughs> <laughs> it's just not gonna be happening i saw we had you one comment was like y'all didn't put bobby heenan on there and you were like did you listen to the episode yeah i was like that was kind of you know it was pretty apparent that both of us really wanted to pick bobby the brain but <laughs> at the same time to to make enough time for everybody we went ahead and split that up but anyway thank y'all again especially you know seems like y'all y'all enjoy those episodes you know we do notice one thing our interviews seem to do a little better through the apps and our topics seem to do a little bit better through youtube which hey is awesome however you are ingesting this show we thank you immensely and honestly i just i don't you know i don't know what to say it's just two brothers from southwestern virginia that love to talk about pro wrestling and you know it really kind of blows my mind that y'all do support us like you do, but we do greatly appreciate it. So with that being said, we're going to prove to you that we appreciate it so much by shutting up. <laughs> shutting up and getting to it. And getting to it. So stick around for these messages. We're going to be right back with the one and the only Hot Rod Biggs. Be right back. Hey guys, this is Wolfie D from PG-13. Check out my podcast, Live and in Color with Wolfie D every Monday at noon. We're talking Memphis. We're talking ECW, WCW, WWF, everywhere that I've been. We even have some great guests, some Hall of Famers on the show with us. Every Monday, Live and in Color with Wolfie D. That's right, it's the talk of Middle Tennessee, the channel you love to hate and the channel you hate to love. It's Brian Turner from Brian Turner's VHS Rehab. And if you're looking for matches from Wolfie D to Jerry Lawler to Dusty Rhodes and the team that put a pimp before your eyes and a goatee between your thighs, Booty Call and Athena, go to LostWrestling.com. See, I made it easy for you. Brian Turner's VHS Rehab. Booyah!
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome one more time to the Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling Podcast. And today, y'all, to say that I'm excited for this guest is an understatement. One of my favorite people from the Middle Tennessee scene. Y'all know I love a lot of them out there, but at the same time, Hot Rod Biggs has always held a very special place in my heart. Welcome to the show, Hot Rod Biggs. You are too kind, brother. You are too kind. Glad to be here. Glad to be here, Jimmy. Thank you for being here. That's the important part. So, <laughs> but you know, I told you earlier on, I said, we just kind of take it easy. We treat this kind of like a car trip to a show. You know, I'll, I'll be driving. You be a shotgun. Jared's in the back making sure, you know, everything's going good there, but we're just going to take a car trip to whatever show we're about to do and, and, and have some fun while we're doing it. Okay. So we're all gassed up and ready to go and let's ask some questions so very first question that i always start with goes to my co-host jared plastic chic street to start us off jared so hot rod this is a question i like to ask every guest uh it kind of lets the listeners and lets us know uh maybe what influenced you or what you've uh what you've saw in your wrestling career but you're you're like mount rushmore you're like top four or five wrestlers that have impacted you or you like to watch or, or whatever, just your top four or five wrestlers of all time? Uh, very easy question to answer there for you, brother. Superstar Bill Dundee, Buddy Landell, Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler. Call me a mark. Man. That's five. That's wow. A, that's, a, that's the quickest answer, man. I love it. Record time. Record time, man. I didn't even have any notes on that one. We're good. That's, just, that's awesome, what, man. <laughs> Buddy Landell, Bill Dundee, I was 12 years old. I got reeled in. Dutch Mantell, let me throw number six in there. They reeled me right. in, and, and I've been there ever since, man, 1983 forward. I love it. I love it. Those are great guys. I mean, that's a Mount Rushmore for wrestling, in my opinion. You know what I mean? So, And I can actually see small elements of all those guys in your in your ring career, too, you know? And and that's awesome, man. So, well, let me start off with this, then, since, you know, you got that one out of the way in record time. So, talk about your younger days. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Right here in Nashville, Tennessee, brother. Born and raised. Grew up at the Nashville Sports Arena where I was able to main event later in my life. Uh, that's That was my Madison Square Garden, man. I, I never yeah. cared about venturing out. Most guys get into professional wrestling to, to take it wherever they can take it. I was content once I hit the fairgrounds. Oh, man. That is the Mecca, right? Come on. That's the place. So, okay. Where'd you go to high school? Where'd you go? To, where were you about your school days? I was graduated from Pearl Cone in 1992. I'm an old man now. And um, <laughs> just, uh, you know, it did, did, did the music thing, did the wrestling thing, did all kind of extracurricular things. And, and, it, and it led to pro wrestling by the time I was 19. Uh, thanks to a gentleman you know as Kid Sensation or Jason Nation, maybe. Yeah. You probably know Kid Nation. Uh, he and I go back to Little League. Uh, I, I wouldn't be here talking to either of you gentlemen right now if it weren't for jason jason shout out if you hear this uh jason preceded me he went uh through ben jordan and, and trained and kind of got the nerves and butterflies out of the way and i said well you know if jason can handle it then i'm gonna give it a shot and i looked moondog spot up at the fairgrounds uh i had a, a family tie-in that i was kind of unaware at at the, the, at the onset and uh you know moondog didn't speak to me for a few weeks he worked a gimmick and uh he couldn't speak, whatnot. So they came, but I kept coming back. I offered him a, a I made him an offer he couldn't refuse. And yeah. thank God he didn't refuse it. And uh, three or four months in a tobacco barn through a summer of 1995 and, and August 4th, 1995, Jason and I rolled down. My very first match was in 
Smithville, Tennessee. The second match was ironically at Jake's Auction Barn in McMinnville, both with Jason Nation, and uh, the rest is history, man. Wow, that's awesome. So Jason is a great dude. I got to know him working on down the line, you know, but you talked about it just a quick little bit there. You played some Little League. Did you play football and stuff like that in high school? What were you in high school? You were the rock and roller in high school, right? Rock and roller, man. I, sports were never my thing, man. My daddy was buried on my seventh birthday. I've seen my life in it at 28. My whole childhood, it sounds ridiculous at this age to look back and say that, but I figured that 28 was the... 28 was my cutoff, so I poured everything I could into everything that I could along yeah. the way. See, sports weren't my thing. I, I, to this day, I don't watch football. I can tell you who does what. And uh, <laughs> played Little League, and, and I started playing guitar when I was 12 years old. And, and uh, up until I actually had to, to reteach myself how to play these last few months. Uh, after my neck surgery, hand debacle, and, you know, fingers are paralyzed and things like that. So uh, definitely been a wake-up call. But uh, started with with guitar and, and it, it's circling back to that now. It's uh, wrestling and music, man. That rock and wrestling connection reeled me in just like the my, my top six did. Oh yeah, for sure. That's definitely what grabbed us as well. You know, we we love that rock and wrestling. I've got such great nostalgia on that. But real quick, so you know, I'm also a musician. You maybe didn't know that, but I think we talked about that in the past. I learned. I picked up the bass and guitar at 12 years old myself. Got a bass for Christmas one year, and and I was in it to win it from then on. Talk about your band, man. I've heard some of the music. It was very of the era, kind of metal. Talk about your first band, or talk about the band that that did those demos that we've heard online. Oh, man, I, I had no idea those were even available. I was trying to see where you were going. That's news to me. Uh, thrash, man. Thrashing, hard rocking, ass kicking, slamming hoodlums. T-H-R-A-S-H. Habitual thrash we evolved to. Um, definitely influenced by DRI, Metallica, Slayer. Um, I mean, man, I, I'm liable to play anything from George Jones to Jim Croce to DSI. I mean, I, yeah. I had a, a musical yeah. taste all over the place. Um, yeah, I mean, we just, you know... 10th grade, we decided we're going to give it a shot, see if we can put a, back then, you know, these kids today, man, I don't even know what the hell a cassette tape is. But we were going to, just, <laughs> we were going to put a cassette tape out, and uh, we, we pursued that in 1991. We, we got a little demo together, you know, sold a few hundred copies to our friends, uh, went out and just played some local venues, skating rings, uh, you know, VFWs, anywhere, uh, high school gyms, anywhere that would let us in to play. It was, it was the vanilla ice era. So, you know, we, we were kind oh, yeah. of it there, but, um, you know, I was introduced to Metallica in the ninth grade. I, I've not even heard, you know, I, I didn't get called up until I didn't get master puppets, ride the lightning and kill them all until, and Justice for All came out. So I had some catching up to do. A good friend of mine is no longer with us. Uh, his name is Richard Slate. I hope his kids are listening. Um, turned me on to Metallica. He kind of forced it down my throat. I honestly didn't even like I, I couldn't do. I, I couldn't wrap my brain around that offbeat on Master of Puppets forever. Right, now that's like right. Um, but I, I had to force it on myself and, and a little peer pressure kind of, I got to do this to fit in. Maybe I, you know, I never hadn't really thought about it from that perspective, but it was not a, a natural fit with the metal. But man, once it got in the blood, brother, it got in the blood. 
Yeah. Know? Well, you know, and a lot of the guys that I, the one, and I'm not knocking Metallica. I'm a huge Metallica fan too. They actually, you know, are somewhat of an influence on my career as well. But at the same time, a lot of the guys that love and just tout how much they love Metallica now were the kind of kids that would have made fun of us for liking Metallica back in the day. Am I right or wrong on that? You are absolutely correct. You hit that one right on the head, Jimmy. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it went from uh, everybody, I guess at that time it was uh, what, Poison and Warrant and, right, you know, right. and uh, I, I went, I actually caught a Poison show and, uh, yeah, now again, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I don't care who you are, hindsight's always twenty twenty. <laughs> but at the time, you know, I, I know they they were using tracks and whatnot. And CC uh, Deville would come out of his guitar solo, held his guitar over the head and over his head with the drum beat, and was you know doing the count and the guitar kicked in. I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, can guess everything. And, and so when I had the opportunity to dive in the metal, I did, but you're right. Uh, a little bit of shunning came with that territory, but, uh, Hey man, you know, the, the very first injury that I had was, uh, blew my knee out, slam dancing at operation rock and roll show, iron Maiden, Judas priest, Testament. Wow. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I took a hit from a guy twice my size, probably twice my age, and yeah. uh, blew my knee out. Uh, one of our club shows a couple of weeks later, about lost my head. Our, our guitar player, uh, we brought a lead guitarist in. The, the band you'd asked about, let me circle back because I talk too fast and too much sometimes. Um, good. Was my buddy Ricky Ricky Stewart, my buddy Ronnie, Ronnie Finley. We'd been... Uh, friends for years and uh we put that together uh ronnie had met a guy that we, we were 16 17 years old we, he met a 28 30 year old guy that came in and could just play like nobody's business and uh he was into a little uh how do i say this he was into some things that we weren't not only of age to do but even of age we shouldn't have been doing right so he was doing his thing and, and uh he was he was wigging out a little bit and he had this big grim reefer sword and and he decides he's going to swing it around while he's doing his guitar solo and here i am in a on an unlevel stage at a place called it was called pan starship uh it was a club downtown a, a spot that's now part of the Bridgestone Arena's parking lot, actually. Wow. Uh, down on the okay. and, and a little raggedy, uneven stage, and uh, about broke my neck, uh, avoiding getting hit with the sickle, uh, because <laughs> I was doing the <laughs> I almost got hit with the sickle by the guitar player on the dope, who was, it was a hell of a performance, but he about killed us, and I'm about to make me kill myself, because I was in that knee brace from my knee injury, from the slam dancing at the rock and roll show, it's a Operation Rock and Roll, man, it's just one big old circle, bro. One big old circle. I love it, man. That's awesome because, you know, like I said, I've got such huge ties. And that's what led me to where I eventually met you was I was a musician. And then you and I actually met when I was working at The Great Escape out there in West Nashville. And you would come in there and I would see, oh, it's Hot Rod Biggs. I know who Hot Rod Biggs is. I'm going to talk to Hot Rod Biggs. And then Tony Falk, LT Falk, Luke from the Bushwhackers. Then eventually Aaron Camaro came in there and said, hey, you know, you want to come? And I'd done a little work up in, in Virginia for my for my mentor Kenny Steele and told him about it and he said you want to come work at Mike Porter's and then I you know got tired of not getting paid and ended up going to work at 
TJ Sawmill. But that's a that's a whole other story we'll get into in a minute. So <laughs> you need to sit here and tell me where all these people can hear us right now that you were too talented to work for hot dogs for Mike Porter. I just <laughs> I did it. I did it, I brother. I did. I even got a bag of chips. One time he said, Jimmy, go ahead and take you a bag of chips, honey. You worked hard out there tonight. And I'm like, Mike, come on, man. You're killing me. That's anyway. What you do? I have to work twice for that? Shit. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right, Hot Rod, you talked about it a little bit already, but give us like a, a little look into your start in wrestling and, and like who trained you and all that stuff. You know, I, I began, again, we we had, uh, again, we're going back to the music, uh, Billy, uh, you would know him, Jimmy, as uh, Malenko, a.k.a. Billy Mount, Billy Manson. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Name, name is Billy Stewart. Uh, his brother, Ricky, was, was one of our original band members in Thrash. Um, me and Billy had... Uh, Decided we were just going to play a little a little show at a skating rink down here uh, for some friends that, that were going to come through town, and, and we kind of uh, I had a very large circle of very loyal friends back then. Still do, still do. I don't mean to sound like I don't, but uh, so much so that, that we were setting up a little show at a skating rink, just do some cover tunes and, and whatnot, and uh, we were practicing seven days a week, and we decided, you know, we ain't really we kind of drifted away from wrestling. Uh, it got a little blase for a couple of years and, yeah. uh, we wound up going back to the fairgrounds, uh, PG 13 were uh headliner with, uh, uh, Tommy Rich and Doug Gilbert. Uh, it was the year that, that Eddie had passed away. We were at the fairgrounds when Doug got the news about Eddie actually. Oh, and, uh, that wow. was a pretty, uh, pretty intense thing. And, and, and it was, it was actually, and I, you know, it's come to think about it. I've, I've Doug is, is now somebody I've probably call my friend uh i don't know if i ever told doug that story anyway first time for everything right so yeah, uh yeah. i think i seen doug uh jet out the back door and, and it trickled through the through the crowd where we were just you know up top having an adult beverage or two and uh i was like you know that that's that's real that was like the you know everything else was in question and, and uh i was never one of those guys that that I never picked apart the show to try to see what the trick was or to see what the, you know, well, this, this might be legitimate and this might not be. I just took it for what it was, you know, it, to me, that would be like going to see, you know, fast and the furious and trying to figure out which one's a stunt driver and which one was Dom. You know, <laughs> right. Just, exactly. That, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. That, that defeats the purpose to me. You know, if I'm going to see the show, I'm going to see the show. And, and that was like the first, uh, difference that i seen in the emotion and uh billy jack haynes had come in uh, and f- took doug's spot on the main event so everybody knew something serious was going on uh i didn't didn't realize i had the tie-in that i did at that time i believe it was february of 95 um we we come back so we, we were going our reward for ourselves for practicing for the show because that's just was what we were doing in life was to go to the fairgrounds and, and once that break happened um I got word within a week or two that Jason was, uh, I mentioned Jason uh, followed him in. Uh, he yeah. had started training with Ben Jordan. Um, and so I started throwing the idea around, you know, I'd always wanted to, you know, I, as a kid, I was always told, well, you're, you're too small to that. You're not tough enough to do this. Or, you know, somebody hits you with a chair, you're going to go home crying to mama and whatnot. And so it was always in the back of my mind, but I was a little intimidated. Um, not to, you know, I'm not six foot five and, 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 and not the gym rat or the bodybuilder or the, 
you know, the muscle guy, whatever, you know, I, I always liked a good fight now, a good fair fight, you know, always up my alley as far back as I can remember. Uh, so I, I, there was no fear, but there was some intimidation about it. And uh, once we seen the deal with Doug and then Jason kind of, you know, lay some breadcrumbs out, Hansel and Gretel style. And um, I just, we seen Moondog Spot at the gimmick table, man. And I went down and bought a couple of pictures just to open up a conversation with him. He didn't speak to me. You know, he works the gimmick. He couldn't talk for a few weeks. And uh, that just kind of drove me. I was like, that son of a bitch is going to talk to me. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> yeah. of my attitude. And, and God rest his soul. Um, yeah, you know, it, Moondog Spot actually said to me one time, he's, and I, I obviously didn't register at the time, and I didn't realize I hadn't had got my feet wet yet, so I couldn't understand what he meant. But he actually made the comment that if he died in the ring, that was perfectly fine with him. Wow. And, uh, and, and sure enough, uh, that's what happened. You know, and I don't know if he, and you probably know this, but uh, oh, yeah. Cassidy Rock was among the, the guys in the in the ring that night. It was uh, in Memphis. We were in Columbia, Tennessee, and we got a phone call. Uh, cell phones were still kind of new, you know, uh, new to to the to everyone. You know, they just become affordable that everyone was starting to pick up cell phones. And uh, someone had called one of the fans in Col- in Columbia at the Grand Slam. One, a fan there where we were had received a phone call from someone in Memphis and they were actually saying Moondog Spock. So they, they weren't exactly, they didn't know who the hell they were talking about. Right. It turns out that there, and we got the news like almost, you know, fairly real time that, uh, Larry, Larry Latham, uh, Moondog Spot, that Larry had passed away at the Mid-South Coliseum during the match, uh, kind of sat on the bottom turnbuckle and, and rolled out. And, uh, in hindsight, again, hindsight being 2020, he said he was okay with that. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I hadn't seen Larry for a couple of three years at that point. Um, yeah. I, I had the opportunity to do the Memphis loop. Uh, most of the guys come through here and, and that's what they do. You know, anybody who watches wrestling in, or watched wrestling in the territory days knows that uh, any, all the guys that turned out to be somebody all came through Memphis. They oh, all yeah. came through. And, uh, that should have been on my radar. It kind of was, uh, you know, my first match with Larry, with Moondog's uh, blessing was actually in Memphis. It was not at the Mid-South Coliseum, but it was a show in Memphis. Uh, my first weekend out, I did uh, Blyville, Arkansas. I did uh, um, uh, Dyersburg, Tennessee, uh, Blyville, Arkansas, and Memphis on a, on a three-day loop. And uh, that drive was new to me. I, I was a local boy right here in Nashville, and and uh, I was just thinking, damn, do I want to drive eight hours? There? You know, right? <laughs> I grew into it, but off the riff, I was just like, damn, there's got to be a, a better way to do this. And uh, Larry had called up a gentleman by the name of Terry Rice. I, I don't know if you're aware of Terry, but Terry was a promoter around here. Uh, he set up a show at the same skating rink that that we were practicing to to do the show at. Uh, very popular skating ring at probably again the kids today that don't know any better are going to think of skating ring what kind of backyard wrestling stuff you got going on but that's what it was um, right. yeah i'm sorry i didn't mean to give you the long answer i haven't really thought about that's this good. in a long time um, i love it i love it we, we rolled through and uh moondog made a call to cherry rice and, and told him to book me and uh i met dante uh tommy Hagee. oh um, yeah 
Hampton. Uh, I, I knew Gary Valiant, and Gary was there. I uh, I went to high school with Gary Valiant. Actually, he's a couple years ahead of me, but uh, I've known him for years. He's a, he's from the same neighborhood I am, um, and all these guys were were congregating at this show right here in the neighborhood, like a mile from. You know, I could have walked there. And uh, so I was thinking, now I'm looking at, do I want to go a mile down the street or do I want to make a four-hour trip and stay in a hotel? (laughs) Right, right. And uh, so that that was that. And uh, that was on, actually, that was Halloween night of 1995. So I had a couple matches in August. I didn't have anything up until the Halloween night show. Uh, Dante seen something in me to this day. I don't know what it was. And uh yeah, we talk about a cheerleader, man. I, I see he's going to be an upcoming guest soon, and uh, yeah. I look forward to that myself. I mean, you are, um, and, and I don't mean to sidetrack you here, but you got the edges out, whatever. But did you know that you know he was on the Texas Stadium show and Perry Von Erich beat Ric Flair, and he was, yes, sir. Uh, yeah, you, you know, you know Jim Pride. Uh, he wrestled right. as Jim Pride. He was right. Tommy. Yeah, I mean, what a, what a what a career this guy had, you know. He's sitting back and used to party with the Freebirds and shit. And I'm thinking, you know, kind Same. of modern. But uh, saying, yeah, Tommy seen something in me, man. He brought me down to, uh, brought me down to Lewis Lewisburg. Columbia wasn't a thing yet. Uh, actually, Columbia wasn't our thing yet. They had broke off from the promoter of Columbia. They'd been running Lewisburg. I found that out after the fact. So I started out my Southern wrestling career, Southern Tennessee spot that, that was very good to me by going to Lewisburg. Almost ruined that right out of the gate. So we're talking Halloween night, uh, October 31st, and what, six or seven weeks later, um, on December 23rd, two days before Christmas, same year, uh, here I am a couple of months into the business, and, uh, you know, as far as I know, the future's so bright, I got to wear shades, brother. And there was a bachelor party for the promoter, Willie Paul Davis. Uh, yeah, Willie Paul. <laughs> Willie Paul. They, they had a birthday party for Willie Paul at the uh, Gentleman's Club here in Nashville. I'm trying to be politically correct and verbally sure. respectful. Um, and, uh, a little bit of crown royal etc later and, and uh, a little bit of hey I'm being green and stupid and I didn't know any better and, and later that night you know here I am demonstrating a hip toss to somebody on the hard floor that I had no business doing and I separated my shoulder which to this day right now all the way from 1995 I twist my elbow and my collarbone pops out because I never got it screwed back in and uh I thought that was going to be the worst thing that could have possibly happened to me. And, uh, I start, you know, I, I, I'm not, I, I'm not a sinless man. None of us are, but I, I serve a good God. And he used that, you know, used what I thought was my defeat and turned it to a victory. And I'm telling you how he done it because I was in Lewisburg and I'd been there for just those few weeks. It was enough for Chris Kern my bruised brother partner talk about heat magnets, man. I've never experienced anything to this day. I still haven't experienced anything in my career as hot rod big, so to speak, as I did when I was hot rod bigs, one half of the bruised brothers, me and Chris Kern. And if we later factored in a little X victory, God rest his soul. And, uh, man, we just took the, the area by storm because I was in Lewisburg and because I was in that sling, I knew I couldn't wrestle, but I wanted to show that, that I was still on the team. I still made the trips for the next few weeks. And, uh, shortly after new year's, uh, well, actually maybe beginning of January, February, um, 
Chris Kern was working with uh, Jason Nation. I hate to keep going back to him, but he was a very integral part. They were doing a, a, a deal in Lewisburg. Uh, Jason had just bought a brand new Firebird 1996 model. Um, he was wrestling against Chris Kern. The car was on the line, and uh, Chris needed to make sure that he walked out the winner. So there I am sitting in my lane. Uh, Quentin Charisma is managing Chris. He's got his own thing going on during the deal. And Kern looks at me in that sling, and he says, hey, you want to come to the ring with me and hide that spray can in your sling? So he could Jason at the end of it. And I was like, hell yeah, brother, count me in. That's what I'm here for. I was just making the trip to show up and support the team you know it was not not the bruise brothers team the hey we're in lewisburg team there right, wasn't no right. <laughs> and uh something just clicked man something uh, uh you, you would have to ask chris Kern what it was but but he seen something uh i was just very fortunate in the right place right time and, and he went to, to tommy who was the booker and uh asked him if we could do a little thing he brings the idea to me the next week about the bruise brothers Again, maybe not being smart to my environment, I almost rejected the Bruce Brothers because as soon as he said, "Okay, we're gonna, you know, put on the bow ties and the shirts and the slacks," and 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 I'm thinking, "Oh God, that's big boss man type shit. I don't want to do that." And, uh, <laughs> and I tried to talk him out of it. He, you know, he wasn't having it. And thank God he didn't listen to me. Um, but he uh, he insisted, and uh, man, that three or four weeks later, man, we were rolling and. Uh, it wasn't long before we were bumped up to the main event, not because we were excellent workers, not because of politics, not because of any reason other than it was very evident that the people were buying tickets to see our opponents, whomever they were at the time, beat up the Bruce brothers or get beat up trying. And, uh, that was my, that was a, a full, that was a full education in a very short period of time on the ins and outs of professional wrestling. And only then did I start to smarten up and look at the business for what it was. I never considered it a business. I didn't consider it a money venture. I didn't consider it a, a stepping stone. It was, this is what I'm doing. This is what's in front of me tonight. And I'm going to take care of this. And I didn't look beyond that. And uh, yeah. it could have been detrimental, but uh, thankfully I had, I was surrounded by some good people and uh, I rode Chris Kearns coattails and uh, man, the rest is just history. Uh, to this day, I, I, if I were to go to a show in that area, somebody or somebody's kid, somebody's going to come up and say something to me about the Bruce brothers. Their grandma watched me, their mama watched me, their daddy yeah. watched me. They, they watched me when they were little. I, I, I could, not that I wanted to escape it, but I couldn't if I wanted to. It, we were, for the small audience that we had, you know, three or 400 people, we were, which is small, especially nowadays, but three or 400 people packed into a, a um, National Guard Army in Lewisburg, Tennessee, and they just couldn't, they couldn't get enough. I mean, uh, the, I, we did the, the sugar bottle deal with, with Shane Morton, man, and, and we went out there and, and, and I was drinking the, 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 the shoot Coke, right? You know, the legitimate Coke bottle. And I yeah. dropped one up. And so I had Quentin bring me another one. So they knew we had more than one. You know, I purposely dropped it. So they hear it and, you know, see it. And, and man, we, we blasted Shane Morton with that damn thing later. Shane and, and Steve were uh, just a couple of months ahead of me. Uh, we all kind of come in at the same time. And so they were the up-and-coming babyface tag team. Chris and I were the up-and-coming heel tag team. 
and uh, we blasted him with that Coke bottle, man. And, and Susan, if you hear this, I, I'm sorry, it is what it is. Man, she I was about to eat through the bricks, man, to try to get to us for cutting Shane up. And it was, uh, <laughs> it, it was magic, brother. It was magic. You know, they, uh, Mikey Dunn, uh, all those guys were, were, were still in the audience. And no disrespect. They were still in it because I was in the audience before I wasn't either. And I, we all sure. were, right? Sure. Got it. Yeah. So I, mean, exactly. I don't mean that disrespectfully, but but this was a while back. None of those guys had broken in. And, um, I, I mean, you can ask any of those guys, man, the, the heat that we had and, and everybody, you know, gets yelled at or, you know, starts a, a ride or something and thinks they got the most heat in the world. We didn't have the most heat in the world, but we had the most heat in the circuit. And it was because of the position we put in. And Chris Carr was just that damn good. And I was smart enough to follow him. Yeah, so that's, that's all. Good question. You're gonna have to edit out about 45 minutes of that, probably. No, that's just no. How, you know, yeah. that's awesome. So uh, you know, in '98, I'm looking here at your list of stuff, and then so Music City, you actually work an NWA North American title versus Colorado Kid at the fairgrounds, and then also at around that same time, you're also working a very young James Storm. Talk about some of those times, man. I'd love to hear. I mean, you're first of all, you're getting to work the fairgrounds there, and then second of all, you're working a very early version of someone that would end up doing some big things. Talk about these times here. Well, I so so let let me if you don't mind i'm gonna take them opposite you gave them to me though james storm uh james storm was was the, the first person i was ever assigned to so to speak uh james trained with uh if i'm not mistaken he trained with the mortons um to, to kind of get his feet wet and uh he come into columbia um eventually led to to remember back you know back then we we had a pretty good uh Again, this was before your time. We had a pretty good schedule, man. We were doing Wednesday nights. We were doing Tennessee City, which is outside of Dixon, Tennessee. We were doing oh, Tennessee yeah. City on Wednesday nights. We were doing Shelbyville on Thursdays. We were doing McMinnville on Fridays. Uh, we were doing Lewisburg, which rotated to Lewisburg, Petersburg, and Columbia on Saturdays. So we hit each one, you know, every third week. Uh, and then Sunday, every other Sunday was Paducah, Kentucky. Uh, we had the occasional spot show on a Monday. Tuesdays were off. And so I, I hit the ground running with five to six work days, you know, a week. And uh, that obviously expanded on my knowledge. And uh, it wasn't long after, here comes James Storm. And, and I almost... I need to send you a picture, whether you put it on your site, whatever, just so you can see the the kid that I was working with compared to the James Storm that the world now knows. Uh, yeah. Night and day difference. What a great attitude the kid had. Now, I hear, and I'm going to say I hear because I never experienced it. I hear James grew into a little bit of a problem that if he didn't like the way things were rolling, he would buck up and do this. I can say with certainty, he never once done that to me. James and I become very good friends after the fact. Uh, and, and let me reiterate this. This was a time when we were not in the same dressing rooms. You know, I, yeah. I've been wrestling four or five years before unless I just happened to catch a ride with one of the guys up or, or we did something like that. We didn't talk to, to our opponents. We, the referee took the gimmick for the end over and, uh, I don't like using the F word, you know, <laughs> for sure. but uh, sure. Took, took of course. The, the referee would bring the gimmick over. I'm still got a little old school. And, uh, and, and if the referee, hopefully he was smart enough to, to communicate it well. And sometimes 
that led to a fight in the ring. You know, we've been in, been in a couple of shoots in the ring, unfortunately, too. Uh, not that I started any, but uh, been it's kind of been a, the end results along the way. Sometimes it was a miscommunication or, you know, the baby's face meant this and, and we took it as this and uh, and it just come down. But we were not in the same dressing room. So James and I became friends after we went out there and put our lives in each other's hands for week in and week out for months at a time. And, uh, I mean, James and I made a lot of, a road, wound up making a lot of road trips together. You know, I got to kick it with, with Mickey James at, at Storm's wedding. I don't even know where I could start or stop with Storm outside of that. Um, but what a, what a sponge for the professional wrestling industry he was. Uh, he wanted to learn it all. He had a good attitude. He didn't mind doing anything, whether I was burning him with fire, whether I was suplexing him off the top rope. Uh, I was, I taught him to do a Frankensteiner by taking it from him, Um, (laughs) uh, which was a new bump for me too. Um, But it was the thing, uh, he and I eventually went into McMinnville. If if you're doing your homework, and I know you have, uh, you see we did some Ronald McDonald House benefits in conjunction with a high school down in the, in uh, McMinnville, Tennessee, a few years in a row, we raised, you know, upwards of 30 grand over three years for the Ronald McDonald House because of some shows. We would go in and do a morning show at the school where the kids would pay two bucks to get out of class and oh, yeah. and uh, come to the deal. And then we, we, as crazy as this sounds, they literally tore the, and I got pictures to prove it, the same me making stuff up, where they took the section out like the men's clothes out of the walmart section because walmart was sponsored and and we would come in and and do a show in in the walmart you know literally inside in the men's section the walmart (laughs) they had to run that up and uh they they asked and uh me and storm would headline that stuff and then we would come back and do a a regular ticket price for the show that night i mean what a what a baby face and i hope he hears this and if you don't then i hope the world hears it and tells him about it what an excellent baby face that kid was right out of the gate and you know everything that he got from my perspective I, I, his attitude that i never experienced aside because I, I never seen that but where i'm sitting james storm worked hard for everything that he got and he deserves all the good that happens to him and i would take a bullet for that kid i would lay down in traffic for him right now i hadn't seen him in several years uh, yeah. but i would lay down traffic for him right now because of what he did for me way back then and because i seen the same love that i had for professional wrestling come out with james storm me cat taylor and storm tore the circuit up for for quite some time um which leads me to your second person you asked me about so uh i had been the, the southern heavyweight champion for an extended period of time a little over 18 months consecutive which uh w- w- what an honor that was you know where would i begin oh, yeah. Uh, to uh to get guys like tracy smothers and jamie dundee and stephen dunn and paul diamond and these guys that i i everybody with the exception of paul diamond i become friends with after the fact but at the time not being in the same dressing room i didn't get to talk to him before nor after the match you know it was a hey tell him i said thank you and vice versa and uh for these guys to come in they didn't know who i was uh i hadn't been on tv at that point and they come in and 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 and, and did the favor and uh you know for for oh who, who the hell is hot rod Diggs? but sure i'll put him over and those sure. guys came and done it and uh that led to 
the tie-in uh, Steve Bryant and Randall Fanning, who was, Steve Bryant was the photographer of the area. Uh, Randall Fanning was the video videographer, however the hell you say that, videographer. He did the he recorded the shows and made sure the boys had their gimmicks. Uh, which I was a student of that. I would I would work. I was a marks, right? So I would work for free if that's what it, I had to do. I rarely had to do that, but I would have worked for free just to be able to record my match because as soon as we got home, it was put in the tape and let's see what went right. And let's watch it again and see what went wrong. And then let's watch it a third time and let's see what we maybe should have done so we can try it next time. And, and became a student of the game. Uh, Randall and Steve took over McMinnville, Tennessee. Uh, Burt Prince came to town shortly thereafter, uh, which led to the music MCW, the Music City Wrestling uh, at the fairgrounds, which opened the door for me to wrestle at the fairgrounds for the first time. Uh, I had dropped the title after 18, I think it was like 18 months and two weeks. You know, they say wins and losses don't matter. I never kept up with that, but I kept up with that time because it was the first title that I had held in a singles manner. Uh, the Bruce Brothers held, and that, I hate to back up, but Chris and I had the tag team titles, and I, I mentioned that we worked in six towns. Chris worked in five of those because Chris didn't do Paducah, Kentucky because of the shoot job. Okay. Um, five towns, different prom promoter in each town. We, a lot of the same crew, but not the same promoter. Nobody was, you know, the, the Columbia promoter wasn't making money off the of Shelbyville, and the Shelbyville guy wasn't making money off Tennessee City. It was, it, they were independent shows for their own right. And all five towns had put their tag team titles on us. Non-cooperating had given us titles. So uh, I'd held tag team titles up to that point, but not a singles title. So after 18 months, whatever, uh, I put Storm over for that title. It was time, and he deserved it, and, uh, you know, it was just time. And uh, just as luck would have it again, I thought I'd done something detrimental. Two weeks later, we're told, hey, guys, you know, we're going to, we're going to send y'all to the fairgrounds uh, on Saturday night, you know, and I'm taking the fairgrounds and what city? Nashville never crossed my mind. They're like, no, you're going to, to the sports arena in Nashville. And, and uh, I mean, it was like, a, uh, how do I equate that without being a sports fan? I guess it would be like going to the Super Bowl, I imagine. I don't know. Sure. I don't yeah. know. But uh, <laughs> what, a, what a great piece of news that was. So here I am now I'm going to the fairgrounds, but I just gave up my title. And I'm thinking, damn, I just I, I just made a Mr. Run here. Uh, but I didn't because uh, they put me in there with Colorado Kid right out of the gate. And uh, we had a very smooth match. Um, so much so that, that Mike, Mike Rapata, Colorado Kid, that Mike told somebody about it. I, I, I know he told Burt, but apparently he told somebody else about it because he started showing up at the Fayetteville show and, and he came to – to Shelbyville and, and he wanted to be in the ring with me, whether it's because I was safe, whether it's because I was light, whatever, whatever the reason, whether it's because I didn't mind putting him over. I don't know. I didn't ask those questions. But for whatever reason, uh, he wanted to work with me. We we went out there and done it a couple of times. And uh, I never, I don't want to be disrespectful. I'm choosing my words carefully. I never fell in the favorites list of Mr. Burke Prentice. And sure. that has its own connotations, I guess. <laughs> you know, you don't know, you're not going to know today. But I, I was not, I, I was not amongst that group. And uh, it's, it's a good thing, I, right? I mean, come on. I, so, it's an thing. Are you kidding me? But I will say this. I, I never judged those who were. And I was, I was, as time went on, all the way through the inauguration of TNA, and which 
I don't, I'm sure you probably didn't see this online, but I, I am one of the only local talents that opted out of an opportunity with TNA, and there I got a whole set of reasons for that. But sure. uh, you know, I, I was invited to. Yeah, I, I was out there with the rest of them. Some bitches painting the walls for the first third round. <laughs> all black. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's all black. Yes, sir. It went from white to blue to black. Certainly was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We were bringing. You know, yeah, I was there. I mean, sidebar, but I was standing talking to Jim Cornette when uh, it's now a famous story. But I was standing there talking to Jim Cornette as Ed Ferrara and and uh, Vince Russo walked into the. Walks into the fairgrounds that night, and and Jim Cornette goes off on him about the Jr. skit, the Oklahoma deal, and you yeah. can Google that in the stories. I was oh, standing yeah. there talking. I was sitting here talking to Jim Cornette when he stopped talking and turned around to beat Ed Ferrara. He was going to try to. He didn't, but he was wasn't because they Spin they didn't stop him. him. Yeah, yeah, he certainly did. He called, and I'm gonna tell you what. Everything that I've heard. Cornette say about that was almost verbatim. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but so yeah, that that was all the DNA inauguration. Anyway, I say that because I was one of the only guys around here, and I'm I'm not special. I'm not over talented. It was just the way it was. All these guys were clamoring to to get in the door for TNA, and uh, I opted out. And that goes back to my deal with with Colorado Kid that. Uh, you know, Colorado kind of weeded himself out of that. But I was the only local guy, I've said this nine times, I'm going to finish my sentence. The only local guy that was not in that circle, because I don't know what else to call it. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean. I wasn't right. on the finance list, and, but I stayed booked. You know, I didn't get kicked. All the other guys got left off the card or they got timed out or jobbed out or whatever, and they kept me in the mix. Uh, I chose not to do the, the Wednesday night shows because there was a whole uh, list of extracurricular expectations that I wasn't participating in. Uh-huh. And uh, some of the, some of those guys, and guys, if you're listening to, I'm not going to name names, and I don't mean any disrespect to you, uh, but w- I was just raised a different way, perhaps. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I was very fortunate. I was very fortunate that I uh, – I stayed in the mix uh, all all the way till till it just wasn't a thing anymore. Finally, one uh, one Saturday night, they said, "Hey, this is the last one," and uh, I was there from the beginning to the end. And it goes back to my very first night with Colorado Kid, and none of that would have happened if not for me dropping the belt to James Storm, which I thought was a mistake. I know I give long-winded answers. I thought it was a mistake, and it turned out just like the separated shoulders, just like the the pursuing spot, every, you know, all the things. I thought I'd done something wrong, and it turned out to be a break that I couldn't have seen coming if it had bright lights on it. Right, right. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, it leads you to the USWO eventually. Talk uh, talk to us about your time tagging with the former guest of the show, Hammerjack, against the Extreme Clown Posse. Old buddy Kroll and Malenko. Talk about that time. Oh, good guy. I, well, let, let me preface all of that by saying this. Very few of us would be a name in this area, independent or not, if not for, for Kroll. And, Absolutely. And some people, like, most people like him. Some people don't. Uh, if I had to pick one person, if if everybody was gonna drown and and we could say one guy, Crawl would get my life raft. I promise you that. I gotta say this real quick. Crawl gave me a chance. You know, I was kind of halfway hiding behind a gimmick of the Sheik Omar Alkazan, and Crawl gave me a chance that I had almost lost my focus on it. And he said, "Why don't you come back and do a little something?" And I did, and I, I got to give him credit. So I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I always wanted to say that. So. 
Kroll definitely gave me a shot when when a lot of people wouldn't do it. You know, thank you, Kroll. Hot Rod, I'm sorry to cut you off there, brother. <laughs> no, no apologies necessary, baby. We're just riding down the road talking. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, what what a phenomenal guy. I mean, there's so much uh, from belts to, to, I mean, everything. Kroll is just a... Uh, I, I don't want to, you know, write a love letter to him or nothing. Although I would, because right. I, that, that, I love him, man. I, that, you know, I was like, talk about taking a bullet, laying down in traffic for somebody. He'd be at the top of my list. So Crow puts this thing together. Uh, he and Tony Falk hey, go back. Um, you know, Eron uh, um, Hatchet. You know, Norays. He's down oh, by yeah. both. Them guys were the foundation, and you know Tony Falk was uh, was always kind of the front guy for the USWO, but the the driving force behind all of it before the Saw Mill, before there was a Saw Mill, there was that Caliber Gym on Friday night, and the USWO, and what a phenomenal time that was. Um, if I could go back to one year in in my entire life and just stay there, it would be from '97 to '99 during that USWO period. It was uh, it was something else, man. Uh, who you know, guys like you know Ricochet and Chuck Taylor, and, and we, I don't honestly, I don't Ricochet. I, I like Ricochet on a personal level. I don't watch wrestling anymore. I, I know I, I didn't even know he he was the Intercontinental Champion until I seen his doll and and uh, what show in Tullahoma, Yukon Jack show, and I said that looks that name looks familiar, and it turns out it was Ricochet. Shows you how far I am away from wrestling now. But uh, I don't like. I didn't like Chuck Taylor then, and I don't like Chuck Taylor now. He's a punk, and uh, I'll smack him today, like I smacked him all them years ago, given the opportunity. But that's a whole other story. But uh, <laughs> the who, a uh, who's who of independent wrestling came through the USWO. Um, you know that. Um, what was the kid's name? Uh, P. Wright, kid named P. Wright. Uh, Lindsay Lohan's first uh, scandal when when her new pictures come out was with a one of LT's buddies. You know, P. D. Wright. This kid had a took a modeling job. For, he was a, a waiter at a restaurant here in Nashville and got invited out to L. A. because of some people that seen him at the show and and then went to to dinner at the restaurant where he worked afterwards. And you know, six months later, this kid. Last time I seen this kid, he's he's he had taken a. a King Kong Bundy doll or something and painted it must suck to be you on him. And this kid's telling me how he's got a, a homemade Hot Rod Biggs doll by his door so he can tell it by when he goes to work and six, seven weeks, however, but, you know, a little bit after that, however long it was. This kid's, you know, on all the news outlets laid up nude with Lindsay Lohan of all people. I mean, so, some really interesting personalities came through the USWO. And, um, I mean, specifically though, so that, again, I sidetracked myself. Nobody has to do it for me. Uh, Hammerjack, <laughs> Hammerjack's another guy that uh, our friendship, uh, our interactions with each other predate professional wrestling for either of us. Uh, yeah. So he and I had a, a history that uh, very few people know about outside of our circle. Um, you know, I, I, Hammerjack, his wife, I don't know, have you, you know Hammerjack's wife? Oh yeah, I don't want to sure do. No, absolutely. I, I give yeah. the whole privacy. Uh, yeah, I I still remember her, Hammerjack. Don't come look me up for this. I still remember her when she was just the pretty blonde girl that come down from up north with her <laughs> with her husband with her brother. She wasn't Hammerjack's wife yet, so we go back right. a long way. And yeah. uh, what what a phenomenal person they both are. But uh, I love Hammerjack, man, and uh, one of the few people that that. Uh, just 
got it. You know, to have two left feet, Hammerjack, you know it's true. To have two left feet the way he does, what a what a worker he became. You know, we didn't oh, know yeah. if he was going. We didn't know if he was going to make it coming out the gate, and I'm sure everybody said the same thing about me and and all the rest of us. But uh, what a long way he came! But uh, we had some good times, man. Hammerjack and I, we 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 had some good matches against. Uh, just they came in as disturbing behavior with Jeff Daniels and uh, Tim Ernesto. And, oh yeah. man, I I can't say enough about Tim Ernesto either. Uh, we'd have to do a ten part series for that one. Uh, <laughs> Twenty part as much as I talk, right? But. Um, <laughs> I mean, and then, you know, you go back to Malenko. I told you about my history there. Uh, Malenko had met Kroll uh, in their neighborhood. You know, and I heard, hey, Ben, this guy at the store's got a, a legitimate winged eagle. It wasn't even known as winged eagle belt like it is now, but it was just the WWF heavyweight title. And, and Kroll had had this, you know, $1,000 belt, whatever, back, you know, 1995, 1994, 1995. And he was taking it to his place of business and showing it to the customers coming in, and, and he and Malenko crossed paths then. And, uh, I mean, man, the rest is history. I, you, you just listed a, a match with me and three of my best friends in life. You know, in the long looking at it from the long view, probably three, three of the best friends of my life, and Hammerjack, Kroll, and Malenko. I mean, what, what great guys. What an honor it was for me to, to, to be in there and uh, to be led through by some, to lead others through on the other thing and, and to just go out there and, and make the people dance, man. That's what's wrong with wrestling today. That's why I can't watch it. It's about spots. It's about flips. It's about dangerous moves. Uh, you know, it's about breaking your leg in half so it looks like a rubber band. There's no way in hell anybody would grab a hold of me and do something like that. I, I just, it just wouldn't happen. But the difference is you, you see these people, they, they're working so hard trying to remember what's next that they don't know. And I can say I was in the ring for 27 years, brother, 27 yeah. years that I yeah. laced my boots. And, and, and while I may have the, the, you know, the last two minutes of the match, I never once, never did I even try and, and damn if I would. I, there's no way I would let somebody come and say, we're going to do this and then we're going to do this and then we're going to try this and what about this? And they'd get beat up before we went to the ring, especially if we were the same <laughs> dressing I'd have to make a trip around the building because that just, it just wouldn't happen. And that's what I feel is wrong with wrestling is, you know, I referenced the, going to a movie earlier. Yeah, we sure that movie's written, but you know they had the luxury of multiple takes if something goes wrong. Sure. Well, we do not. You know, right. we're we're kind of our own stuntmen. We're our own director. We're our own producer. You know, we didn't we didn't have an agent coming back there telling us to do this spot and this spot and this spot and this spot. I, when I heard that. I heard through the internet, once the internet became a thing, because obviously I predate the internet, it was crazy to me to try to wrap my head around that, you know, almost like the Metallica thing. How do you wrap your head around an, an agent telling you what to go out there and what spots to do? Whether he was a worker or not, you know, I just can't imagine that. I never experienced that. Uh, Tommy had faith in us that say, okay, you just go out there and do a thing, and you slip him over somehow, you know, and that, yeah. that was what we done. He, he gave yeah. us the message. But he never said, you know, we'll give him a pile driver and then you do you suplex him and duck a clothesline. You know, we didn't hear all that. People can, you know, I try not to use the word fake. You know, I don't use the word finish. I try not to use the word fake because sure. when I was in the ring, it, 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 it was only as fake as my opponent's aim. It right. was only as fake as my aim. Right. Did I get people? Sure, I did. Did I do it on purpose? 
very, very, very seldom. A small handful of times that I had to lay something in because it needed to be laid in. Only a handful of times was I'd, you know, had my eyes swollen up or whatnot. And a couple of times I did, I deserved it and I learned something from it. And I thanked that person for swelling my eye up, et cetera, uh, because that's what I needed in that moment. And I learned something from it. Well, now yeah. these kids just, get beat black and blue and, and risk breaking their neck and don't even know what they're doing it for other than the next flip. And that's yeah. crazy to me. Tell me how, how they pull a match back together when the tackle drop down spot goes awry and the people don't react to it. So you're going right. to tell me it, it, we're talking at six fifteen in the afternoon and the match is going to go on at eight forty seven, And you're going to tell me how the people are going to respond to and a half hours in advance. <laughs> exactly. No, you're not. That, right. that don't and if you are right on the first one, the second one, the third one, what do you do when they don't respond to the fourth one? So right. I never knew, I never knew what I was going to do next until I done it. You know, yeah. I didn't know when I was going to, you know, call for a keep alive or when I was going to, you know, let them shine or, or, you know, maybe, maybe we're going to start with heat, you know, who knows? It just depends on how they respond. If, if my spill goes good and, and my telling people to shut up and sure go rod go, if they're responding to that, then, then let's go. But if they're not, then it's time to change pace and you have to do it on the fly and you have to know how to do it on the fly. And that's the magic that is pro wrestling. That's what I alluded to earlier when I said, I never watched it to dissect it, to see, you know, how do they do this and how do they do that? They just went out there and done it. Right. And I was fortunate to have that perspective in that I learned by osmosis, by how, however I learned it. I don't even know how I learned it, but I learned to do it in the moment. You know, that's yeah. where the, where the magic happens, you know? And, and then later when I, when I got to wrestle Bill Dundee and I got to wrestle Jerry Lawler and I got to wrestle Dutch Mantell and Stan Lane and, and, and all these guys later down the road, they appreciated the fact that, I didn't need to come have a 45 minute conversation with them beforehand to not go out there and screw something up. And uh, yeah, ex exactly. We did have a special request on this episode. One of the good friends of the show, Brian Turner, booty call, Brian Turner, Brian Hardison, Brian Turner's VHS rehab, who's resurrected a lot of the careers of the middle Tennessee area in his channel. We love his channel. It's a big part of all my podcasts. He's helped us out. We've helped him out. It, it's a great relationship with him. He made sure, and I was already going to ask it, but he made sure to get a part where he said, you've got to ask him, especially about the dog collar match with, with Bart Sawyer, but just your time with Bart Sawyer. What a character, man. What an original character, you know? Uh, what, what a real person that brought his personality into the ring. How about right. that one? Yeah, He's absolutely. About built like a fire plug and, and, and twice as tough. Bart Sawyer, <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. That, uh, <laughs> Ooh, yeah, yeah, that that one took me aback. Uh, for, let me start by saying, Brian Turner, I love you, man. You have restored my memories. Uh, I, I lost the story shed many years ago uh, over a silly battle of pride, so to speak. Uh, I let a story shed go not knowing that I, I mentioned earlier, and I keep alluding back, I would have worked for free to get my matches on tape so I could go home and do my homework and see what I've done right and wrong. And so I missed from 1995 till 2003 2004 there was one maybe two matches that i did not have on eight millimeter tape 
and every one of those were in storage. I had wow. a few survived because I transferred them to VHS and stored them. Uh, so I, I didn't lose every match I ever had, but I lost 70, 80% of them. And because of Brian and his passion and his dedication and his, uh, his respect for me, whatever makes him put the hot rod big stuff out there. I can't thank him enough. I've told him personally. Now I'm telling the world publicly, Brian, thank you. You have restored my faith in, 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 You've restored my faith. You've restored my memories. Uh, thank you for what you do. You said a great friend of the show, a great friend to have on your list anyway. I love me some Brian Turner. Brian Turner's VHS Rehab. If you have not checked uh, it out, fans, check it out. You're going to see some real stuff. I'll leave it at that. You're going to see some stuff on the yeah. channel. So, uh, Bart Sawyer, man, what a wildcat he was. So, uh, he and I were, were both uh, vertically challenged, so we matched up as a good pair in there. Uh, I was probably in the worst physical condition of my life. When, you know, I, I was upwards of, I, I got up to 320, 330 pounds during that era. I've typically been around 220, 230 the, most of the rest of my career. Um, some medications had been given to me and, and I just kind of threw caution to the wind, some injuries and whatnot. And, uh, man, that did that put the weight on me and the fast food and the coffee and everything else I was pouring down my throat certainly did not help matters, but I was in the worst physical condition that I could have. And if you watch any of those tapes, you'll see that I'm, you know, well over a hundred pounds over my normal weight. And, uh, it, it almost killed me to try to keep up with this fire plug. It was like a, <laughs> it was like a, he was like a pack of firecrackers with three fuses, man. I've never been in the ring with somebody like that. I mean, he, he, and I'm sure, you know, and hopefully the fans know Bart Sawyer was a protege of Roddy Piper, you know, right. They started, right. Bart started in the Portland area. Uh, I'm not sure what, what part of his story brought him to Nashville, but, uh, I didn't recognize Bart. I was not uh, familiar with Bart Sawyer. Many of the boys around me were. They were glad to see him. They were, you know, some of them, for lack of a better term, were marking out, you know, like Hulk Hogan had walked into the to the promotion. Sure. Uh, and, and a few weeks down the road, I found out why they reacted like that. Uh, what an excellent worker he was. What a stiff son of a bitch. I had not taken beatings like I took from Bart Sawyer ever up to that point. And, and it wasn't even, it wasn't like him being facetious or being, you know, unprofessional. That's just the way he worked. And I mean, you know, if he, if he gave you four punches, you felt six of them. I promise. And no, I didn't get, I didn't get those numbers transposed. I'll admit that he threw four punches. You felt six of them. It was that, but so the dog collar match, uh, you know, he wants to do the, here I am, I'm Hot Rod Diggs, and, and, you know, he's Roddy Piper's protege. Hey, how about we, you know, let's do the angles, man. Let's, you know, what do you say, Hot Rod? Hey, brother, whatever you want to do, one of the dumbest things I ever said. So leading up to the dog collar match, we started off, I'll get through this as quickly as possible. We did the coconut deal, you know, uh, the Jimmy stuck at the coconut deal. So here I am, I've never, I'm a West Nashville boy. What the hell do I, I going to do with a coconut? I don't get a coconut, it's a topping at Bastion Robbins, right? I go to the store and buy the coconut. Well, I never felt how hard a coconut was in my life. Jesus Christ, was that a mistake? So I buy these coconuts. I gimmick. I, I, I playing with the first one and trying to figure out how hard it's got to be hit to, you know, let the milk come on to emulate what I'd seen on television so many years earlier. You know, how, sure. how did they do? How did he make that? coconut explode on snuck his head because i knew it was going to be my turn to you know do that and uh 
so I, I, I finally figured out, you know, as best I could, thought I did anyhow. And, uh, man, I, I had three coconuts. I left two in my bag in the back, one gimmick, one not, and took one to the ring. And there's Athena. Uh, we get into the dog collar, I swear. Uh, Athena and I are fairgrounds. You know, I, I've I've had a pretty good run uh, because of my position. I mentioned earlier with Burt Prince that uh, he always kept me in in the running. You know, if I wasn't main event or semi main event, I was. You know, I was the match right before it, which uh, the first match is just as important, if not more important, than the last match. You know, doesn't mean anything except it means something in the fans' eyes. You know, so they see me as a as a bigger star than, than I would have otherwise been seen if not for my position on that card. And so I'm, you know, so I've got, I got a, a load to carry. I got a job to do. And I already know that, you know, this fire folks coming in and he's throwing live rounds and, and, you know, there's no way around that. And now he's going to throw a live round with a coconut. And I know that's coming. So I got this gimmick coconut. Well, as my luck would have it, that coconut gets kicked off of the damn ring and it breaks. It hits pretty hard. It actually worked out from the fans' perspective. It actually worked out pretty good because they seen it. And it didn't break as soon as it hit the ground. It took a pretty severe fall for it to break. So what do we do now? That's a, that's our that's that's the that's the go home deal, right? You know. So I make my way. We fight back and, and we go get one of the other coconuts. Well, just luck would have it again. I pick up the one that's still in the plastic, and then I didn't have time to sort through and get it when I mean, we're, you know, filming. And and uh, that footage is out there somewhere. I've seen it. I know it's there. I haven't seen it in a long time, but it's there. I hope it surfaces. Um, it comes time to do the deal, and he's and, and so I know he just took the plastic off this coconut that it just took a ten foot fall on the concrete off the top of the ring post to crack the one that had been gimmicked and this one's coming straight out the plastic and so I know it's it's gonna be a, a tough night. And uh so I I try to halfway halfway bump at mid swing, you know, kinda brace myself as best I can to be whacked in the head with a coconut, which <laughs> let me add, right this moment as we speak, I have two fingers on the knot that is permanently in my skull from the coconut. Probably permanent knot. I, I swear to God. Next time you see me, pat me on the head. You'll see me. I have okay. a knot to this table coconut. He he swings the coconut. Well he gets me. He gets me good. And he don't get me good enough for Bart Sawyer because this is Bart Sawyer. That son of a bitch grabs me by, he has me in the hot rod shirt right out the gate. Over my end, must suck to be you, deal. I got the hot rod shirt, which I always wanted yeah. a hot rod shirt because I went to WrestleMania and won a closed circuit at the Municipal Auditorium March 31st, 1985. I'll never forget that date. I'll remember it beyond my birthday. March That's 31st, awesome. 1985, they were sold out of Roddy Piper shirts. When we got there, I never had a Roddy Piper shirt, never had the opportunity to buy one, and then I get one. But, but man, what a price I had to pay for it. And uh, sure. he grabs me by that shirt. I try to bump, and, and he catches me on my way down. I, I'm kind of in the turnbuckles. He, he, I don't know if he done it on purpose or he thought I was, I don't know. And I didn't get to ask him because I was knocked out. So he grabs me by the shirt, pulls me back up, and away lays me a second time. And, and I just knew I was busted open because I felt all this 
stuff running down my face. Well, after after I was woken up, you know, 45 seconds later, I, it was the coconut milk. He legitimately smashed that damn coconut, which ironically worked out because I was, hey, we're going to do the deal like they done. And by God, Bart Sawyer made sure it happened. He knocked me out cold. So now that now that I got that long story out of the way, now we're coming for the dog collar match. Well, we did we did a sleeper thing, and and I I bloodied him up. You know, uh, good footage. That I, that's on Brian's channel actually. Uh, Christmas night we did the deal. Uh, then we did the dog collar match. The dog collar match was the night of Jerry Lawler and David Flair. And uh, oh, okay, and, yeah. Yes, I, I got fired before the uh, main event coming along. I didn't even get to see the match. So, uh, because of this dog collar match, oh my God. So here we are, the, the biggest house I'd ever seen. Well, I ain't going to say ever seen. It's the biggest house I'd seen since the late 80s when the fabulous ones and the sheep herders sold out to fairgrounds. Yeah. Um, the, the the television show that morning, uh, David Flair, and you talk about a kid who, who needs to learn a wrist lock from a wristwatch. Jesus Christ, he's Ric Flair's fan and he can't wrestle. What the hell is right. that? Hold right. up, story. But, uh, so David's in town. We do we do a Friday night show, and I get to work with David. Um, found out he can't work. I didn't get to see him work with Lawler because I got fired, which I'm getting to. And uh, so me and Barter out there, uh, the television show that Saturday morning, uh, Athena and I had a spot. And I haven't seen it in years. Brian, if you hear this, find me that interview. I'd love to see it. And uh, I, not only my interview, but I'd love to see how if what a what a mark moment it was for Hot Rod Biggs because I got to watch my interview with Athena, which was awesome in its own right, because here I am with the pretty lady on the big TV show going into the big card at the big arena. That I mean, it was it, it was Super Bowl time again, and. Uh, to top the icing on the cake is that the interview fades out. I'm going to be a mark here. The interview fades out from Athena and Hot Rod Biggs and up comes Ric Flair talking about he just might have to pay Jerry Lawler a visit to protect his son at the National Fairgrounds. And that was followed by Jerry Lawler's interview with Ric Flair on the gimmick. And I mean, what a, you know, what a moment that was. Uh, so, I mean, I, to say that I was a little bit nervous to say I was excited to say I was worried about getting the hell beat out of me because we have a legitimate, you know, 20 pound dog collar that's fixing to be strapped to us. And, and, and I know what he done trying to emulate the Jimmy Snooker deal. Is he going to try and rip my ear off like Ray Valentine did? You never know with Bart Sawyer. So there's right. a lot of nerves into that. Um, and I will say this, every single movement we made, I don't give a damn if I was trying to powder and if I was shooting him into the ropes, that, chain i don't know if it was longer than the other one I, I didn't look at the logistics but every time we made a movement he or i moved that chain was like a, a like a whip and it was going bam and it was doing a wave and smacking you in the face and getting in the eye hitting you in the nuts and popping you in the knee and uh, that chain beat me to death i had just been put on pain medication uh, for a, a very serious back injury i shouldn't have even been in the ring i was so beat up the next day I was so beat up that my medication was at the bottom of the stairs. I didn't even get up to go get the pain pills. I was in so much pain. It wow. was bad. It was wow. bad. That, I, I got, that's the worst I ever, to, to not be injured, to just be a, just be sore from, from a match. Nothing, nothing compares to that dog collar match. The most sadistic, most brutal match I, I was ever in. And, and what I call a career was that dog collar match. So, the reason I was fired and the reason that it is now the story it is amongst those who were there is that uh, Bart Sawyer says, uh, 
throw the sign at me. You know, I, I started carrying a stop sign before before ECW featured it. Before uh, Tommy Dreamer, you know, grabbed the Mark fan with the sign and ripped it off on the TV, and now everybody carries a stop sign. Somebody brought me a stop sign, and 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 what a the Bruce Brothers had the the, the Jim Cornette there. We had the tennis racket. That was something that Chris Kern had had with the former tag team. I didn't like the idea of it, just like I didn't like the idea of the of the suit that mimicked the big boss band. But man, was I wrong again? Because that tennis racket sounded like a shotgun, and we got a lot of heat off of it. On an equal playing field, that stop sign it was flat, it was smooth. The harder you threw it, the louder it was, and the harder you threw it, the easier it was to take. In most cases, so it was a win-win when you hit somebody really hard with it. As long as you get them with the edge, it's still getting hit with a stop sign. It's not a day at the beach, but it's <laughs> better than than it sometimes looks or sounded. And so, as always, uh, I'm getting. He told me, hey, he told me to grab a sign. I grabbed the sign, baby. I was giving a thing to the Iggy, and she slid that baby in. And and when I turned around, I felt the, I felt the chain hit me in the back. So I knew he moved, but I didn't know where he moved to. And when I turned around. He is sitting on the – his ass is on the top turnbuckle. His feet are in on the second rope. And so he's just kind of sitting up in the corner, still chained to me. And so I took two steps and slung that stop sign at him, flat, hard, hard as I could throw it. What does Bart Sawyer do? He's Bart Sawyer. He's going to do exactly the opposite of what you think he's going to do. He puts his head down and sells backwards. When he does, Jimmy – he backdrops that sign about 12 feet above the top rope. So you're talking 20 foot. I, I, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, man. 20 foot probably that this wow. stop sign is falling in the air. You want to guess where it lands? They got me fired and sent home before the David Flair and, and, and Jared all of that. It lands in the front row. Oh, and man. Where on the front row, Hot Rod? I'm going to tell you where it lands on a little girl and two old women. Oh, it's my gosh. Wonder, oh, my. It's a, of course. I swear, it's a wonder it didn't cut their legs off. The girl had on some, uh, uh, like, some back she, she couldn't have been 10 years old, maybe. I don't know. I, I was I was a heel. We weren't in the same dressing room. I didn't get to follow up. Uh, well, actually, I didn't get to even change clothes. I got thrown out of the building. Oh, <laughs> but, man. Our apprentice comes by and says, you get the hell out of my ring now. And the first time he'd ever said anything derogatory with you. And I'm like, I didn't do it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, didn't to, I didn't get to argue my point, but that was my first thought. And the thing is over there, she just looks horrified. I'm like, oh, my God. And, you know, I didn't know if these, I didn't know if they were hurt. I didn't know what happened. Turns out sure. it, it is slapped the girl's baggy pants and uh, and just left a little bruise. They just kind of glanced them. So it, it didn't hit them with the impact I thought it did. Uh Oh my God! And and then to top all that off, as if it could get any worse from my position, who are the guest commentators for the big television taping that's going on? Jim Cornette and Scott Hudson are there live to do the deal. And all I hear to this day is Jim Cornette on the. When I went back to watch it, I hear Jim Cornette saying, "I just scooped that old lady up. She was ready to go anyway." Oh my <laughs> you know, God! <laughs> we all thought it killed these people. You know, just in that moment, you know. I, I'm just waiting on Bart to go down and, and we can move on to, to whatever was next. Like I said, I never knew what I was going to do next till I'd done it. So I don't know what was coming after that, but it wasn't leaving the ring because the stop sign hit somebody in the front row. That was wow. not the plan. And uh, it was crazy. It was crazy. We were welcomed back to the good graces. Bart Sawyer showed up a couple of weeks later with flowers for the for the old lady and, and, and the gift certificate and whatnot. He'd come out of pocket and 
took care of that and was actually coming just to legitimately apologize to him. I did get to talk to Bart a day or two after the match because it took me that long to get off the couch once I got my big ass on. I wasn't moving. Uh, it was it was, it was terrible. The worst beating I'd ever had, the scariest moment I ever had, which says a lot because I've been in some pretty in particular situations over the years. But uh Wow, what a what a culmination of a feud and what a way! And then, and then I missed the hundred dollar payoff because I didn't get it. I'm top of the You know, I, I wasn't even going to argue the point. I never come in for the money anyway. I made more money at home than I, I did, was in there anyway. I was fifteen minutes from home. You know, thank God I didn't have a four hour road trip or a ten hour drive or something afterwards. But yeah, it was it, it was as bad as it could be without being. Bad, I guess. Right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. What a night. Man, that is definitely a what a night. That's a legendary story. And I can just envision every bit of that, honestly, Hot Rod. Hey, everyone. This is Shane from Insane Shane's World. I release wrestling figures of enhancement talent, mid-card wrestlers, and wrestlers that you never thought would have a figure available. So if you're interested in adding a really cool and rare figure to your collection, then don't hesitate to contact me at shamtheman73 at gmail.com. That's S-H-A-M-the-man73 at gmail.com. You can also join my Facebook group. Just search Insane Shane's World. you're a fan of rock music i'd really appreciate it if you took a moment to check out my podcast it's called the decibel geek podcast we've been doing it for about 10 years now we talk about kiss we talk about ozzy we talk about motley Crue and guns and roses and metallica we talk about all the legends from the 60s and on up to brand new bands that you should be hearing about today that you're not going to hear on the radio it's Decibel Geek. Wherever you find your podcasts, you'll find us there. If you love rock and roll, I can almost guarantee you're going to love my show. Another thing I got to talk about is you're tagging with guys and you're, you're getting to work with some great guys. One of the things that you did, you ended up tagging in a good amount of time with him was Larry Valentine. And you got to work against our buddy Jeff Daniels and Mr. Tim Ernesto in disturbing behavior. I'd love to hear about some of the feuds and fights with them. Well, I, I'm going to start this one off then since you asked. I, I, this story just came to mind, actually. My first interaction with Tim Ernesto was Springfield, Tennessee. It was Hammerjack and I. Uh, Larry, I'm getting to you, brother. I love you. We're, we're coming. Hammerjack and I <laughs> had a match with uh, Tim Ernesto and Jeff Daniels. They had just returned from Florida as the NWA uh, tag team champions. Uh, this this was just before TNA. I, I, I've heard through the grapevine that they were may have been slated for a spot there or something is the reason they had the belts, whatever. The, the reason they come back with the belts, which was a, a – fairly big deal you know but we you know belts are are what they are but oh, yeah. um, to have to have those particular belts in that political environment that it was and we're talking 1998 1999 uh, maybe 2000 somewhere around there 
uh, probably probably 2000, I guess. Uh, so right right around the turn of the century, you know, that's still a pretty big uh, feather in the cap there to come to town with the NWA tag team titles as Jeff and, and Tim did, and, and deservedly so. What great guys they are. Learned a lot from them. I had a lot of good times in and out of the ring with both those gentlemen. But my introduction to Timmy, or should I say Timmy's introduction to me, was uh, – Oh man, I hate even saying this out loud. So we're we're fighting outside the ring, and and I go to slam Timmy's head into the post, and and I don't know if I was excited. I you know I hadn't hurt many people <laughs> in their careers, but uh man, we we spun Timmy's brain around, and uh, he ate that pole so bad that that this was a Friday night in Springfield. We show up at Columbia the next night, and Jeff Daniels says comes up to me the the one place that we were in the same dressing room after a few years. Uh, Shane Morton had uh had had redesigned the dressing room in his tenure to uh put a curtain up so we could go so we didn't have to depend on the referees to go from those dressing rooms and whatnot uh yeah, yeah. I, I hope I'm not losing the fans out there but jimmy no. you know what i'm talking about absolutely um, and so so it was one of the the first times that i actually got to talk to someone in the back and uh and the kids let me back up a second i seen renesto you know, sitting with the with the vet with the guys that I viewed as the veterans, which you know Tommy Heggie and, and Dante, um, yeah. you know Tony Falk and, and Ricky Reynolds, and just I could go on and on. You know Barney Brown and all those guys were were congregated around Tim. You know I was unaware at the time. I didn't put you know I obviously know who Tom Ernesto was, and then Tom Junior and what a great guy Tom Junior is. Um, you know, got to got to do headline the Missile Coliseum and, and, and run good programs with Lawler back at the end of the eighties, early nineties, you know, oh, yeah. and what a cap there but uh i didn't realize this was the same guy i look over and i see some guy that looks like frank zappa and I'm like right. who the hell is that why does he yeah. got a belt right. and it didn't take a couple minutes in the ring with him to understand why he had that belt around his waist so what a <laughs> was. but here i am jeff daniels comes up i don't mean to sidetrack myself and he says hey all right in that typical Jeff Daniels voice, hey, Hot Rod, go yeah. go ask Timmy where he's at. I said, what do you mean we're asking where he's at? He's right there. I said, yeah, but he don't know that. I, said, oh, I was like, what do you mean he don't know that? I mean, he was concussed for like, <laughs> Jeff could tell you a better timeline. But my understanding was for quite a few days, I, I don't even think he was 100% a week later when we returned to Columbia a week after that. So that was my introduction to Timmy Renesto was uh, knocking him out with a, with a ring post, you know, face with oh, a ring post. <laughs> Hot Rod Biggs, which was absolutely unintentional, but you know, we, we, just because some folks carry tennis rackets does not mean we are playing tennis. So, right, uh, right, Larry, right. Larry, uh, Chris Champion put put Larry Valentine and I together. I had a, a little history with, with Larry Valentine in that uh, we, as the Bruce Brothers, Chris Kern and I, were working with Ashley Hudson, the Australian heartthrob, and Larry Valentine in Petersburg, Tennessee, one night things got a little out of hand. Uh, between Chris and Larry Valentine, and uh, as far as I know, there's still some animosity there. I don't think they ever kissed and made up. Um, got out of hand there. I never, I never had a problem with Larry. Just still don't. I I needed a, a little bit of. I, I had to call in some favors. Uh, not you know a couple of years ago or something. And Larry was one of the guys I called. You know, matter of oh, fact, yeah. Jimmy, thank you because you helped me out with that situation too. Now that I think about it, thank you for that. It oh, was a. Uh, it, it was a it was a 
trying time in a personal life of hot rod beast, but that's a whole different thing. But uh, Larry was one of the guys I've, you know, that's the kind of relationship we had. And he didn't hesitate to, to you know, he didn't, didn't have the, the cash app gimmicks and all the stuff. And he actually had to get in his vehicle and which I really told him not to worry about it after I learned he had to do all that. And he wasn't taking no for an answer. And he went 10 times out of his way to, to do something that he didn't have to do in the first place. Larry, I'll always love you for that. And I loved you long before it. Um, Chris Champion put us together in uh, Spring Hill, Tennessee, at a, at a little spot show. Mike Porter was running for hot dogs and chips. I guess if you're, well, I guess if you're Jimmy Street, it's hot dogs and chips. I wasn't ever that. <laughs> <laughs> kudos, to you, kudos to you, Jimmy. You know, but uh, they, uh, you know, so I, let me rephrase. We worked for hot dogs and leave the chips out. Um, and, and Chris put us there, and uh, and Larry was, you know, Larry had told me i don't want to make him sound like a mark because he's certainly not a mark did you know one of his very first matches was a wcw match uh with with a young steve austin that's um, awesome no i, I don't know, know that. there, there's your homework assignment mr turner find steve austin in wcw versus larry valentine there you uh, go. Yeah, so larry came in with a uh because of his look larry was a police officer once upon a time i hope i don't get any heat for saying that He's a school teacher now, very dedicated man to all his professions he's in. But uh, he was a police officer. He was a uh, bodybuilder. You know, like I don't know what the hell you call those those little bikini guys with the big ass muscles. But Larry was one of them, and uh, yeah, rightfully so. And so here's the guy. You talk about opposite personalities. You know, here here he is going to the gym and shit. I don't even know anybody named Jim. You know, (laughs) and. but man, Chris Champion put us together and Larry had come up to me and, and, uh, kind of put over the fact that I had this long introduction spiel, you know, you know, rhyme this, rhyme that and to hell with you people and blah, blah, blah. And, and I did the same thing. Uh, once I started doing that a couple of years in, uh, a couple of years into my career, I, you know, it got to where, you know, either the people would, would raise hell, tell me to shut up or, or it got to where they would sit along with me. I never, I never failed to get over by doing what I was doing. Uh, I'm one of the few people that still use the same theme song today that I used in 1997. Uh, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? You know, and Absolutely. so I was hoping. And so Larry had approached me at that point after, you know, Chris Champion asked if, if he could put us together. Uh, I got a great story about Chris Champion in the night uh, TNA debuted in Nashville, and Chris had his stroke that disabled him too, and talk about that down the road. So, but, uh, Chris, before just shortly before I let Chris put us together, Larry come up and put me over for for the the spill and asked what I thought about him coming up something similar. So I, he would do his introduction and then I would do my introduction and then there we were the tag team and uh, started for a little you know hundred people a week or something little small spot show that Mike Porter. I had never experienced the it's commonplace now, but I had never experienced the well if you work for this guy you can't work for me. Oh, or totally, work, absolutely. Work, yeah. Until Mike Porter and Burt Prentice both came to Nashville. And they and were, they, yep. Yep. were together first. So you, so you were, you know what I'm talking about. They were together at first and they wasn't. And he, you know, if you worked in this town, he couldn't work for this town. And, 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 and I just say, you know, to hell with y'all. I got a third option. Yeah. <laughs> nobody, Absolutely. everybody else. And yeah. Once I threw that down, they, they loosened those reins on me. And I was, again, one of the few people that the Burt Prentice thing and not being in his, 
personal circle, I, I he sure treated me like he was on the car anyway. And uh, right. I, I got to do both shows, and uh, you was fortunate for that. You just because it opened the doors of the people I could work with and help the people who could work with me and could help me out, you know, which uh, led to you. Know, Burt Prince is the one who put me in the ring with Lawler and, and Dundee, and and uh, Reno Riggins put me in the ring with Dutch Mantel, uh, you know. Uh, uh, Burt put me in there with Buddy Landell. And, you know, I got to, I have stories about all those guys today because Burt Prentice looked favor, favorably upon me because of the talent that, that he said I had. I'm not saying I was talented, but he said I was talented. So because of that, you know, I got to get some good spots. Well, um, Larry, uh, appreciate Larry recognized that. You know, I didn't do anything for it. Larry recognized that, and and uh, what an awesome tag team partner he was. It was it was totally opposite of what I'd experienced with Chris Kern. It was different than what Hammerjack and I had, or Devon Day, who's another great talent. I know you mentioned uh, Devon Day and and Timmy uh, uh, Renesto and just how, you know the Victory Twins. I mean, I could go on and on about great people I got to work with. Uh, Larry was right up there at the top of them. Um, what a phenomenal athlete he was, man. Uh, yeah. yeah. Their TNA shot got blown because of a knucklehead partner he was with. So, I mean, uh, man, I don't, I don't want to get any heat. Now. I, don't, I love John Caesar. If you hear this, I love you, but man, that, that uh, was not the right response to give to the guy coming to give you a, an opportunity in professional wrestling. You don't, you don't go to somebody who's going to give you a million dollars and say, well, what are you about a, you know, a million and a half? You know, you just right, don't do that. Right, right, right. He did, it wasn't about money. I just going to, they were, they were going to do a, Larry had an idea for some kind of double team spot. And John's counter idea to that was, well, why don't I just get them in a headlock and put my knuckle on there? put my knuckle on the temple until they pass out like a sleeper hole or something goofy like that. And, and they, they just, they were done with them. They just, in that one sentence, man, their opportunity was just gone. You know, everybody else is clamoring for a spot and John Caesar got them sent out the door immediately. I think uh, Larry ended up doing a uh, singles match either that night or the next week. And, and that was kind of that, but uh, it's just so, you know, you can light your flame up, but they can be blown out really quickly. But uh, so Larry had experienced that kind of stuff, and uh, he was glad to have me as a partner, and I was equally glad to have him as a partner. Uh, he had uh, he had a, a beautiful valet with him. I'll leave that at that, um, which just added to the package and was right up my alley because uh, you know it wasn't that long, it wasn't long before that when the Hot Rod Biggs 1998 Dream Team is they become known uh, before Athena. You know, we had Miss Ecstasy, and we had, uh, you know, Misty Heat was, was Miss Alexis, and, and uh, you know, then Athena come in. And, 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 I mean, I just, I was always fortunate to have an array of beautiful women willing to come to the ring with me and do whatever was necessary. None more trooper than the goddess Athena. Make no mistake about it. She and I have had many personal differences. We live different lifestyles. I don't agree with her. She never agreed with mine, but, man, we made some magic happen in the ring and made some good memories, both for ourselves and for the fans. And uh, neither of us would probably be where we are in life, if not for right now, if not for the other one during that time period. So I don't want to take anything away from the thing. But Larry added to the package with this lovely lady. He had a company and he wanted to come out. And it was flattering for him to want to emulate something that I had done. I'd not experienced that up to that point. 
you know, and so he comes up with this really cool spiel about, you know, rhyming his stuff coming in and it worked really well as a package and it wasn't long before the houses come up and, uh, I can't say we were directly responsible for that, but it wasn't very long before it went from 50 and 100 people that we were up to two and 250, you know, which is a pretty significant increase for a out of the way place like Spring Hill was before the Utah plant was out there, especially, you know, and uh, um, just what, what a great guy, man. I, I could talk all day about Larry Valentine. What a great talent. What a great partner. What a good friend. And what a good man he is. Absolutely. Larry, all right, hi Rod. You've you've mentioned several of these uh, gentlemen, and uh, you know I just want to get an idea from you. Like, who was your who was your favorite promoter promotion to work for? You know, you mentioned Burt Prentice and Tony Falk, Mike Porter, T.J. Weatherby. Who was your favorite to work for? Oh man, that, that that's like asking. I don't have any children, but ain't that kind of like picking a favorite child? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, they all had their own unique qualities, man. Um, yeah, if I had to pick just one out of the gate, I mean, Crawl's gonna gonna lead that charge regardless. Sure, Crawl uh, Crawl put me in more opportunistic positions than anybody on the scale we were at. Burt Prentice brought me to the fairgrounds. Crawl's put me there too. I'm not taking you know nothing. I'm about to say afterwards takes anything away from Crawl being my number one. I will say that. Sure. Uh, Burt Prentice put me in the ring with with guys that that I dreamed about as a 12 or 14 year old kid that one day if i play my cards right maybe i'll get to wrestle jerry lawler maybe sure. i'll get to wrestle bill dundee and you know it, it as luck would have it uh i got to to do semi-main of i got to i was semi-main event at the fairgrounds christmas night in 1998 with bill dundee i was semi-main event christmas week uh, 1999 with Jerry the King Lawler. Uh, Reno Riggins put me in there January of, uh, I'm sorry, Christmas night of 19, no, 2000. Christmas night. I could be off a year. It was a, three Christmases in a row. I got to, to semi-main and main in the fairgrounds with Jerry Lawler, Bill Dundee, and Dutch Mantel, respectively. Uh, three Christmases in a row, man. I mean, I, I, I damn sure thought my, my time on earth was up then. I just, okay. Well, I lived past 28. I didn't think I was going to now I've wrestled Lawler and, and, and Dutch Mantel and Bill Lindy at the fairgrounds and, you know, got to go over and, and one of the three of them, which was almost unheard of, uh, considering my level in theirs and uh i i thought i died right then just like moondog said if i died right then i'd have been okay with it and i'd have just been another story but uh here i am lived i lived to tell about it and i thank burt prentice for that god rest his soul um you know burt was burt was good to me and not for the typical reasons that many people will say that burt prentice was good to them in wrestling he he had a I don't want to say he had a respect for me. He had an appreciation of what I brought to the table. And yeah. I had an appreciation for what he brought to the table. And I I told one person one time that I wouldn't do something the way they wanted to do it. And Bert supported me on that. Surprisingly, I really thought I was putting a death nail in the coffin. But this this guy wanted to... to, to, to I was wrestling this guy on the third match. Uh they were trying to, to groom him, uh, Jeremy Borash and uh, Mortimer Plumtree and Bob Ryder and uh, Jerry Jarrett were there to watch him work. 
to see if you know if they could position him on the, the we were doing Saturday nights, which how crazy is this? They're giving away free tickets by the the thousands. You know, I think they gave away like ten thousand tickets a week, knowing they couldn't hold but two thousand with their sure. setup for TNT. You know, so they were giving all these ridiculous amounts of free tickets out, and you get to see the Road Warriors and Kurt Angle. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So, or you can pay ten or twelve dollars on Saturday night and come see Hot Rod Biggs and you know I mean come on now would you, who would you buy a ticket to see right sure so the, right. the the deck was stacked against us anyway so they're but they're using but they're keeping the Saturday nights alive they're paying Bert like it's a bought show because I guess for tax purposes it was so Bert didn't care if we didn't draw but a hundred people at fair around uh, which was sad but, but that's a whole other story but uh, there we were in the mix there here's this this force of you talk about a Mount Rushmore turned in hindsight it kind of was I didn't know who Mortimer Plumtree was at the time I, I learned who Jeremy Borash and Bob Ryder was as time went by and of course I knew Jerry Jarrett and they're watching me not from not for me to get an opportunity because I'd already I'd already bowed out and gracefully told them thank you and declined my opportunity and, and that's a whole other story but uh, they're there to, to watch Humongous the kid's name was Ryan he, he was Hulk Hogan was, was high on this kid from whatever and, and Hulk Hogan told him to you know go here and go there and so he come in under the recommendation of Hulk Hogan which is about as big as names get from my perspective yep. amen um, yeah. And so now I'm, I got a guy that Hulk Hogan sent to this area to, to, you know, polish up or whatever the hell he's going to do. Now I'm still in the neighborhood. I'm not the 320 I was a few months earlier with the dog collar match in Bart Sawyer. That time is coming on, but I'm not far from it. Now, you know, I'm still, still probably 280 pounds maybe at this point. And, we're on third or something like that. We're on early in the card and the kid is going to turn heel at the end of the night. And then he's going to turn heel on a kid that weighs 175 pounds. Well, the 175 pound kid is going to take this big, uh, I guess like a jackhammer type deal, like Goldberg ended up doing. Although it wasn't, nobody knew what the hell a jackhammer was during his time, but apparently this kid did. So his idea is that, Hey, you're you're only 280 there, Hot Rod. Why don't I just try it on you in the third match? And if it goes well, I'll try it on this 170 pound kid in the main event. And I said, No, nah, man, we ain't gonna do that. You know, to hell with you. And there's Jamie Dundee saying, Oh, Hot Rod, you're the veteran, man. Don't don't take that so much as move. Don't take that so much. You I love you, Jamie. Guy, you tell us some stories, Jamie Dundee. But uh, Jamie's yeah. coming out to me. And, and to me, this is Bill Dundee's son, and this is the guy that was main event in the show when I was buying tickets to talk to Spot to ask him to train me. And before I spent time in the in the the, the tobacco barn on Moondog Spot's property and, and got forty five pounds sweated out of me, you know, in three months of training before I got to lace up any boots. And and now I'm gonna go against the hell. No, I'm not gonna go against that. I'm listening to Jamie Dundee. Jamie's the veteran in my eyes. And when he validated my refusal to take this stupid move for the stupid reason, the stupid kid wanted to give it to me, I just wasn't doing it. And then now I done said my words, and I wasn't backing down on your principle because that I'd have been the, the weak link in the, in the deal. And, and now the other guys are looking at me like, well, Jerry Jarrett wants him to do this. And then I said, I don't give a damn what Jerry Jarrett wants. Tell him to come in there and take it. And I actually got, actually, uh, I did. I, I'm not going to, you know, I ain't going to bullshit you. I did not know Jerry Jarrett was on the other side of the door when I said that, but 
turns out that Jerry Jarrett approached me uh, about three or four months later. Reno Riggins brought Jerry into the fold of, of a fairgrounds event he had going on. And uh, we got the spill and the contract deal and, uh, you know, all, the offer for a contract and the dummy contract that this is what it would read like. And so there was a big meeting with all the boys. And after the fact, uh, they're, they're, they're going to shoot wrestling in, in high definition for the first time, early 2000s, right? And right. so uh, Jerry Jarrett comes up to me after the fact, and he says, hey, you said something a little while back, and, and I didn't get a chance to, to tell you thank you. And, and, and I said, I, I didn't know what the hell he's talking about, right? And I, you know, I found out months down the road, nobody told me that. And I said, that, that kid was going to going to try that suplex move on you. And you told him no. He said, good good call, kid. You know, and here's Jerry Jarrett that I grew up watching, you know, as a wrestler, as a promoter, as, as Jeff Jarrett's dad. Uh, Jeff Jarrett, what a POS he is. I got a good, I got, I got a good $10 million rejection story on him. I can tell real quick in a moment, too. But so here's Jerry Jarrett that I've looked up to for as long as I've been around wrestling. Here's the man that I now know is responsible for all the memories I've had wrestling, and he's telling me I made the right decision and calling him an idiot, or, or not an idiot, but telling him, well, well, tell him to come take it. You know, right. what I said to and uh, he he approached me and he he told me that that was a good decision, which uh, like most of my decisions, they don't seem like a good decision at the moment. But in hindsight, they they usually uh, work out. They, they've always worked out in my favor for the most part. And uh, God bless his soul again. Well, I think I think there's more of us gone than around uh, nowadays. Getting old, Sad. yeah. He he uh, and and. Uh, what an honor it was for that. I don't know how the hell I got there from the Mary Valentine thing, but let me, since I'm off track anyway, let me give you a story that uh, nobody knows. Right? Nobody outside of my personal circle knows. So we're at James Storm's wedding. You know, I, I tell you, you know, I, I swear I, I first uh, encountered Mickey James. I walked a show or two with her, but I didn't know her on a personal level. And, uh, you know, it, it was an open bar after the, <laughs> after the wedding. And uh, so, I, you know, me and Mickey's hanging out and, uh, you know, Matt Morgan's there and, and Jeff Jarrett and Karen uh, had just, what you know, their whole deal. They had just got together or become public or whatever they had going on. And sure. uh, seeing, seeing, you know, 10-foot-tall Matt Morgan get out of a car built for, a you know, like a midget circus or something, that was a whole different sight. Uh, that was crazy. That big old bastard getting out of a little bitty car was funny. <laughs> but so we're at the, we're at the uh, I, 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 in my personal life, I, I was working for uh, – I had previously worked for an insurance company, uh, did underwriting and, and accounting and whatnot, and do taxes, do a lot of stuff people would never think Hot Rod Biggs would be doing. And uh, Miss Jackie Adair, who is the owner of Direct Insurance, uh, I'm sure, Jimmy, you've heard of Direct. I don't know, oh, Jared. Yeah, absolutely, but, yeah. Uh, Miss Jackie Adair, well, uh, before they were Direct Insurance, they were Harrison Brothers Insurance. Uh, I, uh, yeah, Harrison Brothers Insurance. Well, that was her. She was married to Steve Harrison. They were co-owners of the company. He, he his brother, and Miss Jackie were equal owners of, of this insurance, auto insurance company. They had a pretty big foot footprint in the South. Uh, you know, many millions of dollars on the line. Well, um, it was a small office for what it was. Uh, my cousin had gone to work for him straight out of high school, and she was upper management for him. Uh, I come in, they were, you know, appreciating my work. I was appreciated being there. And uh, Miss Jackie found out I wrestled, and, you know, we kind of bonded over that. And it got to where 
on Monday mornings when they come time to go to work, you know, because I, I had a little bit of leeway of coming in late if I was leaving a town late the night because we were still doing the five. I was fortunate. I worked five, six nights a week for the first 10 years I was in wrestling. So I was very fortunate in that. Not every single week, but most weeks, you know, and, and even on the night, five to six nights a week, that was three or four. So I, I got to work fairly consistently right out of the gate. And uh, Miss Jackie would be at my desk uh, waiting on me on Monday morning. She wanted to hear what my weekend story. She wanted to hear who I wrestled and, and you know, where there was our fight in the crowd and just stuff that fans would ask the wrestlers. And I was more than happy to advise the only multi-million dollar company with a story, especially when she writes my paycheck, right? So here we are at James Storm's wedding and it was real quick caveat. Miss Jackie began direct insurance where her and Mr. Harrison got a divorce. Uh, part of her divorce settlement was the existing business. So she took all the existing Harrison Brothers business and started direct insurance, and then she had to do new business sales from there. Steve had to do new business sales from the get-go and rebuild his company. So now you have acceptance insurance, which used to be, you've probably heard of acceptance, acceptance insurance, which used to be Harrison Brothers. Now you have direct insurance, which was Harrison Brothers, and I'm friends with both of them. You know, they're divorced, but they're both my friends. Right. Jeff Jarrett was at James Storm's wedding. We're shooting Crown Royal and, and drinking, you know, margaritas and, and whatever the bartender pours next. And uh, and they start talking about funding TNA. You know, we, we, we're going to need a new sponsor. This was uh, either right during or possibly right before because I, I haven't put any thought into it. So uh, not sure on the timeline, but Dixie Carter had not been – uh, approached about becoming an investor into TNA at this point. They okay. just had a follow-up okay. in front of them, so I'm, I'm getting to the end here. Long story short, Jeff Jarrett starts, I, he's talking about sponsors to, to Matt or whoever the hell else he's talking to. I wasn't paying that much attention. And uh, I heard him say the name, I heard him say direct insurance. And then I heard him say, well, he's been trying to get a meeting and he can't get a meeting. I said, damn, Jeff, I said, I can get you a meeting. And I had his full attention with those words, you know. Sure. And yeah. uh, so now, so now we're gonna we're gonna move ten steps the other direction, and we're gonna sit next to a hot rod and see what he's got going on. Which of is course. fine. I know why. I don't blame him. I would have too. Uh, what I do blame him for is coming up though, little bastard. He. Uh, <laughs> I, I told. You, I just told him. I said, Jeff, you go. I, I said, don't call. Don't go through the section. I tell. I said, show up at the office. Tell her you want to speak to Miss Jackie Adair, and you tell her that Hot Rod Dick sent you. This was on a Sunday, okay? Yeah. James Storm married on a Sunday. He, I, I found out after the fact, he went, just like I told him, on Monday, because I went to see Miss Jackie after I found out what happened. And uh, on Sunday, he came in Monday morning. He was there when she came in the office. He was already outside waiting. He went and told them that, that, that the lady, the secretary, didn't know who, who I was, but because he had a name, she told him he was welcome to wait on her. She said, I'm glad you did, Ron. She at least told me thank you. And uh, Wednesday, at that point, the Tennessee newspaper had gone from daily to like three or four times a week. And the Wednesday edition of the Tennessee newspaper was covering the story from Sunday, the wedding on Sunday, the meeting on Monday, now we're at Wednesday. Wednesday mornings in Tennessee and had the full story of the brand new five-year Ten million dollar deal between TNA Wrestling and Acceptance Insurance. I mean, Direct Insurance. Jeff Jarrett, Miss Jackie, are there shaking hands on the front page. Congratulations to them. Awesome. You know, and I probably deserved a few thanks from the crew that got their paychecks because I made that recommendation because I was listening to Jeff at the wedding and having some drinks. Sure. The reason that I 
have no respect for Mr. Jarrett is because $10 million, you know, that son of a bitch. And yes, I said son of a bitch, Jeff. That son of a bitch didn't give me the courtesy of a thank you, of an wow. email. He didn't give me a, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to check. I didn't want to, sure. I didn't want any money. I, I, I would have appreciated a thank you. And the fact that Miss Jackie thanked me when she was the one shelling out the $10 million over the five years, yeah, I don't know if it actually got paid up or not, but that's that was the initial deal. It was five years, $10 million that he would not have had. If I hadn't dropped the name to him and he hadn't dropped my name, he'd have never got it. That's what he was bitching about that caught my attention. $10 million, he had my email address. He had my phone number. I didn't get a text. I didn't get a phone call. And I lost what little respect I had for Mr. Jeff Jarrett right then and there. I let Mr. Storm know about it because, as I mentioned, me and Storm become real good friends. Storm offered to, to speak up on my behalf. I said, brother, I appreciate that, but please don't insult me by doing that. He sure. made his decision. I made mine, and, and, and I didn't mean to get off on the sidebar, but yeah, no. every time I think that, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fairly peaceful man, Mr. Jimmy Street, but I would gouge him in the eye given the opportunity just because that was the one time in professional wrestling and business and life that I let somebody just disrespect me and I didn't at least call them out on it. So I just wanted to take that opportunity. Not that, not that you don't hear it, but it, Jeff, if you do call me a liar, go on a public forum and say that that did not happen. And I will come kiss your ass in the spot of your choosing brother. Not only the spot, <laughs> open ass, but the location you want me to, because you know, as well as I do, that's what happened, brother. You should have, it doesn't matter now. It's all water under the bridge. It's a little bit of a sore spot simply because it was disrespectful. I would never have done that to him, but I also would never have recommended he go somewhere. I'd already declined a job with TNA. I didn't want a job. All the other guys would sure. go around, do whatever they want to do for a job. I didn't want a job. I didn't want to cut. I didn't want a commission. I didn't want to thank you envelope. I would have appreciated a thank you email or a thank you text message. For $10 million, would you call me, Jimmy? Of course. I mean, course. who wouldn't? It just seemed Simple. like the, it seemed like the right thing to do. So you can edit that whole thing out if you want no. to. Don't matter. I'm just no. saying. But that that's a legit thing. That's the only heat that I knowingly have in wrestling. Uh, I don't think anybody can say they're mad at me. They might have been mad at me in a moment, but I think I've got a pretty even kill with most of the guys I've worked with. I always treat everybody with respect, whether they treated me that way or not. I never hurt anybody on purpose. I apologize if something went wrong. I never no-showed an event, but I always said thank you because it's the right thing to do. The veterans taught me that. The veterans preached that. And here's a gentleman that I respected as a veteran who made a non-veteran move, and I will call him out on it. Any opportunity I get, this just happens to be the first public one. So thank well, you for that moment. My pleasure, Hot Rodney. And you know, we are kind of getting to the end of time here with you today. There's a list of names. I'm going to go over them real quick. Devon Day versus the Hero Killers with Noray and Tim. Great tag teams. You got to work at USWO TV Champ Match with ODB. You worked with the Moody Call team. USWO, you worked LT Falk, Jablonski, Nick Iggy, Ricky Morton, Jason Nation again. Got a great feud in at the end with Jason Nation. Of course, you can never forget about Lex Victory and the Victory Twins. 
then of course you and I get to meet up for the very first time and this is in Saw and now you and I had met randomly in different places but never for long or never really got to know each other I cannot end this show without talking to you about this first of all in Saw in 2013 I had just come out of the Prince Omar Alcazan character I had been able to hide behind that character I had a little accent I had all this stuff it allowed me to hide behind that well Kroll didn't want to put that gimmick on TV and I totally understood it. Never had a problem with it. Honestly, TJ came to me at the end of it and said, hey, Jimmy, are you okay with taking the gimmick off? Because that's the gimmick that TJ hired me with, you know? And Kroll said, well, we're getting TV. He said, so let's go ahead and and get you as Jimmy Street because I'd been toying with that idea anyway. Long story short, I come out of that gimmick. I managed Plunky and, and Drew Haskins and I sucked. I was horrible. I'll say it over again. I did not know how to be Jimmy Street. So what I did is I dropped out. I went to work for Tony Falk when he was running USWO in Millersville and I found Jimmy Street again. I figured out what Jimmy Street was so Kroll started seeing me and I was doing better with it and Kroll said, hey brother, why don't you come back? Well, when I came back, you know they were doing some things, Nick Nitros these different things, Wolfie D was there some absolute great names there but one of the great names I got to meet and get to know was Mr. Hot Rod Biggs. Hot Rod, I'll, I'll probably tear up thinking about this But I listened to those videos and I've never, you know, Kroll put his all behind me. Shane Morton put his all behind me. LT Falk, Tony, they put their all behind me. But when I heard you and how much you would progress the storyline, and it may not mean a lot to you, but how much it means to me, I can never thank you for. How much you would put me over on that show. I'm going to do my poor little Hot Rod Biggs accent right now, but Jamie Street, what's he doing tonight? Jack Johnson, will he get that victory? Will his man, you know, and I'm sorry for the bad impersonation, brother. It meant the world to me to know that I was getting put over on TV when I didn't even know it. And you took the storyline that could have meant very little. I wasn't necessarily the greatest manager. I'll never say that. We know Athena was the the greatest manager or Paul Adams or somebody like that. But when it came down to it, you really took my gimmick and you pushed it to the moon. And even though I was out there doing the job or doing the work and working with Sean Hoodridge and working against Eric Andrews and working with all these great guys, but you were the man that actually helped push that storyline more than anybody, I'll say. Because, you know, Kroll let me do it. Kroll gave me the opportunity, but when we were out there, brother, you did it. Uh, you did me so many favors, and I can never thank you enough for them. And, and and that's why I'll always say I have so much love in my heart for the man, Hot Rod Biggs, because you know you could have just said what it was. Okay, this is more about Sean Hoodridge than it was Jimmy Street. But honestly, you gave me that element of of tribute, and and I'll never be able to thank you enough, brother. I, I greatly appreciate it. Well, yeah, you, you are welcome. But but uh, yeah, I, I think you're thank you're thanking me a little too much and yourself not enough because you as you just stated you were the band out there doing the work i was just calling what was in front of me and uh i i, I vaguely as no disrespect i vaguely remember some of those words you said but i i do remember that but that was it, it's a two it's a double-edged sword there part of that i was trying to do the best at, at my position sure for court. and and the the other side of that is you know i i remember when you came in and i remember the the uh you know, the, the foreign gimmick and then and, and the salute kid that, that you were with and uh that deal and, and uh I, I actually I do what I something I do remember, I do remember uh, you know, I would always go and and, and Crow and I would, would banter back and forth after the bashes we'd go grab something to eat somewhere with a group of folks and, 
and and shoot ideas around and just toss stuff around. And I remember him being a little reluctant to uh, to push that gimmick on TV, not because. But maybe what you don't know is it had nothing to do with the actual gimmick. Coral may beg to differ, but uh, my my recollection is it wasn't so much the gimmick itself or that you were not doing anything right by that gimmick, or I promise you, I know Coral well enough that he would have written that off altogether and not wanted sure. you to come back to anything else for you to leave to go, you know, polish yourself and come back the way you did. Uh, that wouldn't have even been a, a not that you couldn't have come back, but but there wouldn't have been a, a gesture. And I can give you a, a metaphor for that momentarily. But it was a matter of that. Carl had as as he did with me. You know, we we get somewhere in professional wrestling on someone else's shoulders, and then we can run with the ball on our own. But somebody's got to bring us to the dance before we can dance. You know, sure. And, uh, and Coral brought me in the same way. So I appreciate the thank you. It has got nothing to do with the correlation. No correlation with the Jeff Jarrett. Thanks, by the way. Uh, but thank you. I appreciate <laughs> But uh, the, um, or lack thereof, should I say. He seemed that you had a legitimate talent. I mean, you were a nice enough guy, you know, and you, you had something. He didn't know what it was, but he was reluctant to put that gimmick out there because that gimmick was going to do you more harm than good. And that's my recollection of the discussions. Made sense. Uh, yeah. More harm than good in the long run because sometimes you get, uh, it's almost like the, the, and this isn't the same, but it's kind of like the guys that turn baby face and then they're not baby face and then they're heel and then sure. they're a baby and then now now they don't mean nothing because you've done custom out every way you could and then you cheered for them and give you blood sweat and tears and then they betrayed you by turning heel again so when they turn baby face again what the hell are you going to put your blood sweat and tears in that person for sure people exactly. lose, their, lose their, their longevity by doing that and that's why i i did a baby face role for two matches in my career i was I always been a heel i got the same you know whole deal i get same spill same music same tights same boot i got the same pair of boots right now downstairs in my home that i bought from bill ash in houston texas in 1995 and same pair of boots i mean if it ain't broke don't fix it and uh when it was broke somebody said hey what do you think about fixing this and and in cross defense i don't think and in and to your uh could have been detrimental to you, perhaps. I don't know. Sure, we, sure. We, I don't know. Uh, it was good for what it was when it was, but Crawl has that vision that, that if everybody had Crawl's vision, Crawl wouldn't be Crawl. And right. Crawl had that vision, and he, I do recall him seeing something more in you and, and tossing some ideas around. I can't tell you specifically what they were, but it, it was getting away from that. And, and I'll do respect to that other kid. He was not a very fluent worker. Uh, so you you had something to work with, but as you stated, you know Sean Hoodrich and, and and Eric Andrews and you named a who's who of independent wrestling, particularly in this area. Just a moment ago, you know you went down the list, and uh, would you have been there with the turban on? Probably no, I wouldn't not. have. I wouldn't have, and that, because I was hiding behind that. You know, I for one was glad to see Jimmy Street appear on the scene, and when you say the other name, it's vague to me. When sure. you say Jimmy, you know, if the fan comes up and asks me about Jimmy Street, I know exactly who they're talking about. I know exactly what you've done in wrestling, and I have fond memories of that. 
Um, yeah. Regardless of my family TV, that, that's, that's legit. You know, that's, I, I remember Jimmy Street. And yeah. if I remember Jimmy Street, not because I was commentating, it was my spot on the, on the team, and I want the team to win. You know, I, if I win, what good, what good does that do everybody? It don't do any, the team has to win, and then I can celebrate. Yeah. So, yeah. Well. I'm not trying to take anything away from what I said about you. If I said it, I'm just, I promise you no, this, I meant no. it. Yeah, Jack, I know you Jack, did. Jack and, and we got to put over Jack, too. You know, Jack was so good. Jack was so oh, Jack. good. Y'all were so good together. I'm telling you, y'all were the Middle Tennessee Gorilla and Bobby. I'm telling you, y'all were so good together. And, and really, y'all could have been doing that anywhere. I'm telling you, you could be doing it right now on AEW, and you'd be the best in the game. I'm telling you. That's a hell of a compliment, Mr. Street. Thank you for that. Uh, Jack Absolutely. Johnson, man, I, I, could, I know we're out of time. I'm not going to go on another tangent. But uh, what a phenomenal... Well, what a sad case. Do you, do you know why Jack's not around anymore? Do you know the reason yeah, no. Jack's, Jack lost his voice? Jack can't oh, talk. no. Okay. What a phenomenal commentator he was. He did, uh, he did like, the, there's some businesses, there's some, you know, million dollar businesses in downtown Nashville that would do events every quarter where they would, the CEOs would, you know, put $50,000 a piece up and have, you know, MMA shoot fights in a garage somewhere. And, and, and Jack would come in and tuxedo and do the announcing for this big fundraising event that these guys, you know, raised millions of dollars and, and donate it to charity and go in there and legit fight each other. You know, you got you know, the accountant fighting the CEO of right, whatever. Right. And, was doing all that and what a phenomenal person jackie is outside of wrestling what Pretty. a great cincinnati what a great, reds fan too by the way go reds he loves his comics uh jack johnson was something else jack johnson is something else Let me he is that. yeah um, i gotta throw this out here my favorite jack johnson line in, in my career is jason kincaid and i had been doing a hair match hair hair versus hair gimmick i cut his hair and it was carrying around in a Ziploc baggie. And, and like you, I didn't know in the moment because you don't get to hear the commentary when you're there wrestling. Right. And, I, and I and I watch the TV, and, and here I come out with a Ziploc baggie full of his hair that's Jason Kincaid. And, <laughs> and Johnson bust out with Hot Rod Biggs and a Ziploc baggie in the same sentence. That cannot lead anywhere good. <laughs> and I thought, well, he's, just, he's so quick-witted, man. He could just come up with the, the, the craziest, most off-the-wall thing about anybody. And he knew his wrestling. He, he knew far, his wrestling education far exceeded mine. Um, and I thought I you know, knew it all. He paid attention to details I would never even thought to look for. Sure, They did sure. my job. And uh, I, I really hate that, that, that of all things for him to lose was his voice when that's made him so much more special than so many of the rest of us. Jack, Absolutely. you hear this? I love you. utmost respect, not only from Jimmy Street, from Jimmy Street, but from Hot Rod Biggs, from all the fans down here, all the fans all over any area that heard your voice, Jack. We sure wish we could hear it again, brothers. Thank you for all the great times in the ring, out of the ring, at the house when he would stop by, when he, you know, Jack lived two hours from Nashville. He would drive up and make that show, and, and he would drive up. And he When I had my surgery, and he just seen, I guess, through social media that, that uh, you know, I was recovering, and may or may not recover, blah, blah, blah. I get a knock on my door during COVID season, of all things. And it's Jack Johnson, you know, and he drove two hours just to come say hi to little old Hot Rod Biggs. And, you know, what an honor that was. That's what kind of person Jack is, though. Uh, but yeah, what what. What a phenomenal announcer he was, and uh, quick-witted, and, and uh, just, he, 
I didn't deserve to be sitting beside him, but I appreciate the compliment with that. But uh, I, I'm going to circle back to something. I want to give you an example of, of the, the Jimmy Street transformation you talked about. It was so awesome to see you come back and, and own that moment. And you owned it every time you walked out. You know, it was almost like a, you know, I would equate it off the top of my head with no thought. And I would equate it to a modern day, you know, Gary Hart, maybe. You oh, know? my Gary God, Hart brother. One of those uh, guys that, that, you know, they say you know, he'd go out in a bulletproof vest because they know somebody's going to stab or shoot him. He had that kind of heat. And, and while I experienced some good heat in my time, and I walked out and had tires slashed in Shelbyville and windows busted out and, and, and cook, you know, just different places. Somebody see me pull up and get pissed off. They're going to go damage my car. So I can only imagine that kind of heat. You had that kind of heat. It was on, on the level that it was available to us. You had that kind of sure. Thank you. When you walk out of that dressing room and and you give that arrogant glance, you know, like what are you people doing breathing my air? You know, right. that's what I got. When I walked out like, what the hell? Are, why are you are you breathing my air? What's wrong with you? <laughs> and, and people responded to that. You didn't have to say a word, but when yeah. you did say a word, it meant something, and that was uh, that's that's what makes managers managers, man. You know, that's I mean you took the body around with it and uh you know because you ran with it and you were good at what you were done because you won the team won you know and, sure. and that's that's that's, all, that's been my only perspective for anybody as yeah. opposed to that i i don't know if this guy's a friend of yours or not and i don't mean to say anything derogatory but going back to crawl and the decisions he makes going forward and who he includes and who he doesn't exclude i'm gonna give you this real quick caveat uh what is that kid dyron flynn was the kid's name Sure. And uh, they had done a little gimmick, and Dyron, I don't mean any disrespect to you if you hear this. I don't know if he's even still alive. I ain't seen that kid in a decade or more. Yeah, if I around. have, I'm talking about he, he is around, so I didn't even know. But yeah. uh, I know that kid, uh, he, he, he went on a tangent questioning one of Crow's decisions, which was uh, he had put a belt on Dyron at the right. sawmill. I did, I'm fairly certain it was at the sawmill. It was? Yeah, he Iron, so you just know where I'm going with that then. So he, he put put the belt on him and then when it was time to not have the belt on him, um this kid's, you know, we're crows here and stuff in the back. We're all here, and I don't want a single crawl out. We're all here and chatterings. Well, this guy's saying you done done him wrong here and you done him wrong there. And, and almost to the point where I, I, and I probably, I probably did actually say it out loud. I'm sure I did because I know me. I probably, I was accused of doing this. I'm sure, sure I did. I'm sure I, I did say, well, he wants to be booked so bad, book him. I'll work him. And it yeah. wasn't going to be, you know, I wasn't mad at the kid, but I was tired of hearing these rumblings about he said, she said behind the scenes because I don't operate like that and I don't like anybody else who does. But what that kid, it was never personal. It was never anything like that but he was upset that he didn't get his return match well yeah i mean it, it wasn't about that wolfie d is actually the one that come in and 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 took the belt and he took the belt off of me you know right. so i dropped it i don't remember how i wound up with nothing but i you know and i mean who, who am i compared to wolfie d wolfie's a you know worker among workers wolfie i love you too man i ain't trying to kiss your ass but truth sure. is the truth wolfie, great talent and um he, I kiss um, it enough. It's okay. <laughs> what some people call ass kissing, I just call the truth. You know, sure. it's, yeah. it's, yeah. it's the truth. If it's, only the truth. if it's only the truth to me, it's my truth. 
Whatever. Him that's dropping the title to Wolfie D should have been an honor, in my opinion. Now, he, he took it a little personal with Crawl. I didn't really like that. Darren and I are in a spot right now. We'll, we'll just not talk about that. But at the same time, I didn't like that he took it personal to Crawl. Kroll had some health issues I did not agree with. Dyron knew that I didn't agree with it, and I, I that's why I stayed with Kroll. At the same time, I, I could have continued managing Dyron, and we did not continue on at that point. And, you know, Dyron and I had some great times together managing him, but at the same time... I, I, I had, had some good matches with Dyron. I, I had sure. nothing personal with him, but, but sure. it, it did get to the point. And, and I say that to say this. He didn't understand the booking decision, and that's all it was. It wasn't a personal decision. It was a sure. I mean, sure. are you going to buy? That would be like somebody choosing to buy a ticket to see Hot Rod Biggs or Jerry the King Lawler. Well, who are you going to pick? Yeah, I'm not sure. going to pick Hot Rod Biggs. Those two, you know, which would above my feelings be hurt? No, they wouldn't. You know, I hate that that kid's feelings were hurt over something that had nothing to do with his feelings. I guess is what sure. I mean that. And I'll say yeah. that, go back to, I'm glad that you've seen the light at the end of the tunnel when you crawl. And, and this ain't got nothing to do with crawl. It's just a wrestling situation that I hope the people listening to this may be thinking, you know, if, you, if you're a worker and your butt hurt about something, get over it. It's not as personal as you probably make it out to sound unless you've done something personal and only you would know that, whoever right. you may be. But right. you, Jimmy Street, you were – Instead of being offended, you took that opportunity to get away and, and see what, what you could do better. And you found it. Yeah. You, admittedly, self-admittedly, you found it. Absolutely. Which would we be talking for a program that's going to be aired right now today? Would we be having this conversation? Would, it, would there be a Sheik Salute podcast? I, probably not. No, no, there, there wouldn't be. <laughs> there's a podcast because it's a means to an end. Did Crawl have some grand vision that you were going to have a podcast years down the road and he wanted you to do that? No. He was looking at what's going to help us sell tickets next week. What's going Absolutely. to tune into the program and Crawl's not right all the time either, but he was right in, in the situations he put me in and I respect him for that. I love him for that. I appreciate him for that. And most of the time his vision is, his is right on point. And even in the instances when it's not, he's the man paying the bills. He's the boss. He's the company owner, whether Tony Fox, the front man or whoever, TJ, you know, TJ funded the, the bills and, and TJ, uh, I wish you were still with us. Nothing but love for you. Absolutely. Um, man, TJ, I love, you know, I'm so grateful for those opportunities, but I don't want to get sidetracked. They, uh, it'd be like going to McDonald's and, and telling Ronald and Grimace to get the hell out because you got a better idea than they got. Well, right. They just don't hamburgers for some reason, so they got to be doing something right. You, you don't have to like their hamburgers, but don't go in and tell them they're doing their business wrong. And that's right. kind of, that goes on a lot in wrestling. I, Dyron, if you hear this, I, I, I'm sorry I threw you out there as the lamb, but uh, that was the story that came to mind. When he said that, that kid's name popped in my head, and I just remembered that one situation. I'm sure it happened a thousand times with other people who may or may not have spoke up. But Dyron, you're the, the name come up. Uh, all due respect, you and I had some good matches over the years, and uh, not a bad worker. You know, it ain't the greatest, but neither am I. But uh, he was a good worker, and uh, I appreciated my time. He was always respectful to me until – you know, my friend's business is not, not, and Crawl ain't got any heat with him. I don't mean to insinuate that. That was sure. just a business decision that, that worked out the way it should have. It just didn't benefit this one person. And I, I say that to, to congratulate you on what 
the steps you took to go out and find something better because you could very easily have just taken your ball and gone home and never wanted to come back and and w- would that have hurt and saw in the long run or or any fill in the letters whatever maybe maybe not probably not though because right probably not you can write somebody else in but on the other hand did it help saw when you did come back absolutely it did because if it didn't if it didn't i promise you i wouldn't do well I, i may have tried but i wouldn't have i wouldn't have tried to go the extra mile to make sure the fans understand your impact on a particular match or situation, an angle, whatever it is. And so the fact that I've done that on television and put my reputation out there as far as I can see it to make sure that, that my approval of you or, or anybody for that matter, I'm just using you as the example that my approval of you is, is, is should be a stamp, should be legitimate, should be, this is what I want you to think as the, television viewers sitting home and giving us an hour of your time because i mean we go out and work by the hour and we don't want to come to work for seven dollars an hour we you know so we don't want to go and waste an hour of our time e- equal you know equally we don't want to waste our time at home because our time is valuable and these sure. people are giving us money they're driving to the shows they're buying concessions they're buying programs and pictures and then they're going home and giving us their time their personal time in their home by tuning in on television we got to give them the respect that 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 brings with it too. I mean, sure, I'm going to go out there and tell them they're no good rednecks because I want to <laughs> sell them a ticket to come and watch me get beat up if that's what they want to see. So that's yeah. my job. I, but I, but at the end of the day, I want them to to be glad to come see me. I want them to know and fans. I want you to know. If you ever bought a ticket to see Hot Rod Diggs, if you ever bought a ticket to see Jimmy Street or, or the, the Extreme Clown Posse or any of the numerous the numerous people that we've named during this this conversation during this proverbial car ride we're on, um, <laughs> if you bought a ticket to see any of them, we thank you. You know, we, we, absolutely. That, that, yeah. Some guys may hate you for something you done. I was never my job. And now it's not a big secret because wrestling has evolved because of social media, what it is. The people think they know, you know, the, the, the wizard behind the curtain. And a lot of times they do. So let me pull it back and say, thank you for buying a ticket to see Hot Rod Beach. Thank you for coming to the sawmill. Thank you for coming to all the various towns and spot shows. Thank you for the support. And even when you're out there slashing my tires and busting my windows and trying to stab me coming out of buildings in Shelbyville. You're still supporting me. It was an honor. It was a pleasure. And even though I'm, I'm an old crippled man now and I can't type right, I just had to teach myself to play guitar again after, you know, 30-something years and not being able to do it. I would do every bit of it over again. I wouldn't change a single thing, even knowing the outcome. It was such an honor. It was such a privilege. All the guys, those that put those that I put over, those who put me over, those we fought with from Eric Andrews and as a whole another podcast. Uh, yeah. That was part Eric. I, I told Eric, you know, that was my deal. The only person that I acted uh, disrespectful towards and, and was wrong for doing it. I thank each and every one of you for coming out and seeing us. I thank guys for giving me the respect to trust me with your life in the ring, to trust me with your safety. Thank you for everything because we all dreamed of this going into it or we wouldn't be here and Absolutely. now that we're here, I thank each and every one of you for allowing me to live my dream because if you didn't put me over i wasn't over 
Amen. Yeah. Amen. I mean, that, that's true. And you know, Hot Rod, I, I, brother, I know we could go on till the time ended today, but we definitely got to get you back for a part two. And I think we'll give it a month or two because I know there's so many guys we didn't get to talk about today because, you know, we just we just kind of let it flow. And, and that's the way we like to do it on this show. But for one, you know, I want to thank you. I know Jer, my co-host, he thanks you. And we just really appreciate yes, you coming on and telling your story. And like I said, we'll get you back for a part two because like I said I only got through half my notes because you're just such a good storyteller, brother. So we'll. I, I'm a long winded talker, which has been detrimental me to me over in and outside of wrestling. So I apologize for not getting to you on this. Uh, I am at I am at your disposal 24 seven. You let me Thank know you. if you need that. I would love to. Uh, I, I don't get the opportunity to talk wrestling much anymore, and uh, I can't tell you what a pleasure it's been. I'm sure we ran way over time because of my long winded ass. Let me throw this in. I promise I'll be quick within 90 seconds. I want to thank Shane and Steve Morton and Booty Call, Brian Turner, Dan Morrow, the Goddess Athena. I want to thank Crawl and Jason Nation and, and both of the Victory Twins. Only one of them is still with us, but I thank I, I, I've known them guys. They were literally in diapers. I mean, they, they're the closest things to brothers outside of wrestling I've ever had, and uh, I don't see one of them and the other one I can't see, And uh, but I thank them for everything they've done. Lex Victory contributed to to who Hot Rod Biggs became as much as anybody did. I think Glenn Mullins and Gypsy Joe, I think I said the Mortons, but they deserve a double one if I did. Shane and Steve <laughs> Morton, they, they come in. If it wasn't for those guys getting over the way they did, I would have never had the same opportunity. Jimmy, thank you. Jared, thank, thank you. you All those out there thank listening, you. whether it's five or 500, thank you. If you've never seen a Hot Rod Biggs uh, match, Check one out on YouTube. I'm sure uh, it can't be that hard to find. If you, you can hear a thrash tape that I had no idea was out there, none whatsoever. had no idea. If it's out there, check it out. Let me know what you think. Like it, love it, hate it. I don't give a damn. And if you don't listen to it, that's all good, too. I still got nothing but love for you. Thank you, gentlemen, for your time. And, uh, I mean, wow, what, what a trip down memory lane it's been. I mean, I, awesome. I, I couldn't watch you. I damn sure wouldn't have done it without you. And, uh, I don't do anything but get up and go to work and, and come home and stare at the walls and, and, and watch Brian Turner's VHS rehab. So uh, that's my yeah. life nowadays. So I don't get this opportunity often. I will take it anytime you make it available. And uh, I'm, I'm very humbly thank you for taking the time to speak with me and pick my brain, man. I, it does the soul some good sometimes. All right. Well, hey, we'll do it again soon. I promise. Hot Rod, love you, brother. Take care. We'll talk soon. Okay, buddy. Hi, right, Jared. Pleasure to meet you, sir. Jimmy. Pleasure to meet you, too. Thank you. Um, I, I, I hear y'all doing well on this. I, I've not listened yet. Uh, I'm going to go back and, and check out some of the uh, some of the, the broadcasts that, that I know Jeff Daniels and Shane Morton and I know different guys have done them. I'm going to start checking it out. Uh, I'm going to be a Jimmy Street fan all over again. So thank you, uh, thank you for the opportunity and I will talk to you when I talk to you. All right. Sounds good, buddy. Have a good day. Take care. Well, that was the legendary Hot Rod Biggs. We'll be right back to wrap things up with the Plastic Chic on Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling. In a world that has been completely divided for so long. Two movie fans have decided to unite for the people and the betterment of mankind. One, an action movie buff. The other, a horror movie fanatic. Together, 
They will try to bridge the gap of both genres into one podcast with their battle cry. Give me back my action and horror movies. Listen along as Charlie and Nate alternate each week talking about action and horror movies they cherish, mostly from the VHS era. Also, including some modern examples that felt like the movies they grew up with by answering the battle cry. Give me back my action and horror movies. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Look them up on Facebook and Instagram. If you're a pro wrestling fan, there's something for everyone at the Cheap Heat TV Podcast Network. From the Pro Wrestling Discussion Show, Cheap Heat TV Live, to the Interview Show, the Jackson Interaction Podcast with the king of all wrestling media, Gene Jackson, to the silliness of the Whitey Jenkins Show, and the brand new Zip, Xander's Irresistible Podcast with Charles Anders, you can check them all out and much more over at CheapHeatTVLive.com. Oh man, Sheik, was that not cool or what? Hot Rod Biggs with the win. You know, one of his things was he would come out blowing a whistle and he would always say, it must suck to be you. And he actually had it on his shirt that he wore. And yeah, so if you didn't listen to that interview, I truly must say this, that it must suck to be you, man. So wasn't it awesome, man? It was so good. Such a great interview. Dude, he he was so, he's so giving to us. I mean, he could, I think he could have talked for five hours straight with us and it would have been nothing. And, you know, it's kind of an honor for me. Sometimes we talk to people like, you know, Jeff Daniels, Shane Morton, hot rod, Biggs, um, hammerjack, all those people, because, you know, unfortunately I like a lot of the world, haven't got to see these guys uh, up close and personal in, in the ring. Uh, you can see them on a lot of them on YouTube and stuff like that, but uh, you've got to work so closely with them. And it's, it, it's so awesome that to talk to these people and hear their stories and to know that, you know, just cause you didn't see them on WWE every week uh, doesn't mean that they didn't have an impact on the business. And yeah, absolutely. you know, you get, you get these great stories. I mean, I love the Jeff Jarrett story, TNA stuff. That's, <laughs> no. that's good stuff, dude. I mean, like, yeah. And, and, and it just shows you how sometimes people can big time you. I mean, Oh, Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. Now, Hot Rod, man, we appreciate you. And, and thank you for the great interview. And it's just so cool for, you know, like a guy like me who unfortunately doesn't know a lot and I could have little filler questions all over the place. But it's just it's just great that you know somebody like Hot Rod can just talk and tell the stories without having been led that way. He just talks about the stories for us, and you know we can interject with questions as needed. But he he just gives us a a hundred percent in the in the interview. And, yeah, and you can, and you can't ask for more than that. Oh, totally. You know, Hot Rod is truly one of the best interviews out in that area too. You know, he could always give a great realistic interview that was always very to the point. And then as a color commentator, dude, he was incredible. And uh, you know, him and Jack Johnson were the team at Saw. I implore anyone to go online, look up NWA Saw, and listen to Jack Johnson and and Hot Rod Biggs do their commentary. You know, one 
meantime, and, and I'm going to see how I can get this out. I, I don't know exactly how it'll get it on the internet there, but there is a clip of me doing color commentary because High Rod wasn't able to make it to a show, and it's for one match only, and it was pretty good. Jack led me through a lot, but I, I just kind of stayed in character as best I could. Out there in listener land, you guys think it's easy until you're sitting there and you know that the camera's running, the recording is on, and the match is going on, so it doesn't matter if you're sitting there freaking out. You got to make it happen or not, and I, I would have loved another crack at it, but unfortunately, I mean, I was busy doing the manager gimmick, and Hot Rod was doing the gimmick, and it's, you know, it's it wasn't like it was something that was planned anyway. Kroll came up to me and said, hey man, you want to do this tonight for us? And I said, of course I do. You know, I'd love to try that. So that was a lot of fun. I'll try to find that clip sometime. <laughs> the last time I listened to it, it wasn't the best, but it wasn't the worst. Let's just say that, okay? So anyway. <laughs> now imagine trying to do that like Michael Cole has had to do over the years with Vince yelling in your ear for three hours. Oh, dude, I cannot imagine that whatsoever. <laughs> it sounds brutal. Sounds brutal. God bless him. Because <laughs> yeah, no that, that is just crazy, man. That Yeah, an absolute billionaire maniac yelling in your ear. But anyway, yeah, thank you again, Hot Rod. Great episode. Can't wait to see how things go with this episode. I, I really do feel like there are people behind it. The next episode, you know, normally we've been doing interview topic, interview topic. But we got presented with such a great opportunity after the Shane Morton episode of interviewing one of the most legendary tag teams in Tennessee history in in Southeast, honestly, in Dante and the great Mephisto. As you heard Hot Rod talk about there, you know, Dante was on the show that Ric Flair and Kerry Von Erich wrestled for the the title. I look back, I mean, Dante started wrestling in 75. Mephisto started wrestling in 77, 78, somewhere like that. He's Bobby E. Eaton's cousin. They were the Brown Bombers. You know, they had the Blonde Bombers, of course, but then they also had the Brown Bombers. And this was all in Goulas, you know, NWA Mid America. And I tell you what, man, these two guys have a lot of history. I think Mephisto's actually wrestled against the Rockers and WWF. He, anyway, a lot of cool stuff. Going to be a great interview. And we've got them coming up on the 25th of the month. So our very next episode, instead of going directly to a topic, we went ahead and said, yes, we've got to get these two guys. This will be our first tag team too, so I'm excited about that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. That'd be great. Was it was that uh Larry Latham and Wayne Ferris and the Brown Larry, Yeah, Larry Latham and Wayne Ferris. Yes, sir. That's yeah. them. But anyway, this is gonna be awesome. And I and I'm excited. Really, May is gonna be a great month for for the show. I'm excited to see how it is and, and where it goes. You know, we did pass a year of doing this podcast so you know, we we kind of just let that pass by because the official start date has kind of <laughs> changed been, <laughs> been modified a bit but you know without going too far into that we just kind of realized that there was a, a later start date than we r- originally had and that's just you know if you know you know how about that but anyway oh you didn't know yeah, exactly. Well, with that being said, I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this episode. I know it's been a, a long one, and thank you all so much for sticking around. Of course, find us always on our social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, group and page, and YouTube at GMBMPW. Also, wouldn't mind if you go ahead and support my other podcast with Wolfie D. You can do that at Live Wolfie D. Recently had Dennis Kelly on the episode 
Rude, a former Tennessee Titan and NFL player. That was the very first NFL player I've ever interviewed. And we also have Drake Younger coming out as well on the 15th. So definitely check out those episodes if you don't mind, but for sure, definitely check out the next episode with us on the Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling Podcast with Dante and the great Mephisto, a legendary tag team. But anyway, yep. thank you, Sheik, for coming around. Thank you, Sheik, for helping me with the heavy lifting today. So for the Plastic Sheik, Jared Street, I'm Jimmy Street, and we'll see y'all next time on Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling. Don't forget, it must suck to be you. <laughs> and subscribe on YouTube. Yes, hit that subscribe <laughs> button, daggone it. With a tear in my eye, this is the greatest moment in my life. This has been a James Rock Street production.